Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is Michael Adams, and it's nothing but the truth. Well, man's journey to find it. It is January the 5th. 2016, apparently, actually, the false year, been the false time, <laughs> as far as according to our creator, our God's calendar. So, with that, uh, we have uh, Zen Garcia with us once again to do another uh, episode of what I'm titling the series, uh, A Conversation with Zen Garcia, A to Z, Z to A. I believe, uh, in the truth or to the truth or something like that. I can't even remember what I titled it. I have my apologies. Um, we also have Brad Bornholt with us. This will be the first time that he's actually joined me on the show. And uh, we have... I don't know, that's not true. You and I had... Did we have a show last week, didn't we, Brad? <laughs> I've, had so, I've had so much go on. It's... Uh, I think I need to take a day off. Maybe. Well, I will have to anyways. I get my son tomorrow night and have him until Friday. So nothing will be going on for a couple of days. So, um, Anyways, yeah, so it's A to Z, Z to A in the way, the truth, and the life. And um, so this is a very, I get a, I guess it would be a part four that it should be titled that as well. Um, I, once again, we're going to have some uh, fascinating discussion. We'll talk more about uh, Zen's work in a little bit, and we'll talk with Brad and some of the things he's been up to as well. But I want to start out with reading a couple articles that I find fascinating. I just about done finishing the series about uh, um, <clears throat> entitled. It's a book I'm reading called uh, "The Ma- Papal Magic and Occult Practices." and the Catholic Church. I'm going to read a little bit from here. It says, uh, quotes, The grimoire of onerous is perhaps the most frankly diabolical of all the rituals connected with black magic. A.E. Waits, the Book of Black Magic Practice. This is the environment in which we confront the grimoire of Pope Onerous III, so it had been the first published in 1670 at the height of the La Voisin uh, affair, when infants were being sacrificed almost daily during black masses performed for the desperate housewives and royal mistresses. The grim war became, becomes less and less of an anomaly and more plausible as a work to be used by Catholic priests involved in cult practices. Now we go back here to this article. This is uh, an article, is an interview of Jesse the Devil Hughes, Boot Electrics. He is the singer of the, the band that was involved in the Paris attacks, looking 
most likely that it was a staged event and potentially even a satanic sacrifice. I hate to say this. Um, Jesse was there with his band during the, the, the stadium when the attacks went off. And I'll read a little bit about him, and then I'm going to read about the uh, what happened in Oklahoma recently. And I, once again, want to explain to everyone that I'm not here to attack the Catholic Church, but there is an element in the priestcraft that has been very deceitful with what it's all about. And um, we should know about this. So anyways, the Eagle is a death battle. Uh, Jesse Hughes is actually a Catholic priest. The Redemption of the Devil documentary reveals the fascinating walking contradiction that is Eagles of Death metal frontman Jesse Hughes. Eagles of Death metal frontman Jesse the Devil Hughes has been referred to as a fascinating walk of contradiction, among other things. A film documentary about Hughes' life called The Redemption of the Devil is being presented by Vice. The film is very intimate portrayal of the year that Hughes and Joss Holmes completed a new album of Hughes' band, Eagles, Eagles of Death Metal. Together, Holmes has been, his best, has been the best friend of Jesse Hughes since childhood. <clears throat> I can't remember what uh, Holmes' band is, something in the Queens of the Dark Age or something like that. I can't remember. Um, Jesse the Devil Hughes is a uh, mustachioed, tattooed man who commands the stage as one of the sharpest walking contradictions in the music industry. Has ever seen Hughes is the front man of the EODM band, and he also a father, a NRA member, and a Donald Trump supporter, and ironically enough, ordained Catholic priest, charismatic EODM frontman, whose band performs hard rock songs with lyrics about drugs, sex, and Satan, among other things, also wears his faith for all to see right out on his tattoo sleeves. He's also is not afraid to voice his passionate opinions, however controversial they may be on the two most sensitive controversy issues that continue to loom over the numerous tra tragic attacks uh, by the terrorists on this 21st century religious religion and guns. Hughes intense for or intense for conservative politics eventually ends up leading him into con consider reentering in the political arena of of things, Hughes' life sometimes seems to be endlessly explosive while he continuously preaches the right on righteousness and right wing beliefs, all while toting a gun in his hand. Hughes describes himself as unabashed devout Christian devote to his Christianity. He his mother's a Catholic who took him away from his uh, abuse. He's a rock and roll father. Hughes believes that his father, his father's disobedience to God, abandonment of the faith, and disobedience to God did not serve him well at all. This became what Hughes describes as a model 
for the left for him. Notice this left-right thing. <clears throat> he explains the left as anyone who does not love Ronald Reagan and does not accept without doubt the Second Amendment and to anyone who does not agree he threatens actually physical violence. In the year 2012, Hughes was ordained as a reverend of the Order of St. Francis. From his living room in Atwell Village, Hughes bashes Obama and praises Ronald Reagan as he sermonizes on his internet radio show, all while surrendered by sex, drinks, Elvis, Satan, and of course the Bible. <clears throat> Uh, that is definitely a contradiction. <laughs> I just wanted you guys to think about something. I don't know how many people realize that Jesse the Devil Hughes became a supposedly an ordained priest. Now, what's the connection to this? We look at this now from the article of um, on religion here. I think it was uh, from uh, Let. Aletia, that's A-L-E-T-E-I-A dot org. And the religion section, Satanist claims Catholic priests gave him host for Black Mass. Archbishop Cookley sued Satan, Satanic group to hand over consecrated hosts. While one month to go before the Satanic group in Oklahoma City a public black mass, the Archbishop uh, Archdiocese of Oklahoma, of Oklahoma City is suing to force the group to hand over a consecrated host it claims to have. Now, of course, this thing happened, uh, I believe it happened already the Satanic Original last week where they supposedly they dumped blood over the, the statue of Virgin Mary in front of the Catholic Church. Uh, the lawsuit filed Wednesday in the District Court of Oklahoma County claims Satanic leader Adam Daniels and his religious organization, the uh, DACMA, I guess that's right, pronounced it DACMA, this D A K H M A, of Angria uh, Manio, have, quote, unlawfully taken possession of the property belonging to the Roman Catholic Church specifically a concentrated host. Daniel, who has claimed publicly to have the host clarified in an interview that the host he plans to use at the Black Mass came from a member of his group who is a Catholic priest in a foreign country. <clears throat> One of my priests in, the, in a foreign country is also a Catholic priest, and he is the one who consecrated it for himself and mailed it to me. I am not going to reveal his name, and I'm not going to reveal what country he's from, Daniel said in a phone interview Wednesday. He said that he had not yet been, been served with the lawsuit and would not yet have any comment. Archbishop Paul, Paul Cockley who was tried, uh, who has tried unsuccessfully to persuade the Oklahoma City Civic Center to cancel September 21st event, 
has filed a lawsuit. He called on uh, the Catholics and the Archdiocese to pray and fast so that the Black Mass will not take place. The lawsuit, which can be read here, demands of the Satanic group head over the host of, to Archbishop Coakley. The Church has exercised dominion and control over the Eucharist, Eucharist for 2,000 years. Michael W. Caspino, attorney for the Archdiocese, told the National Catholic Registry, we are simply asking the court to return the stolen property that it, to its rightful owners, the Roman Catholic Church. <clears throat> a black mass is a sacrilegious ceremony structured as a parody of the Catholic Mass, invoking Satan rituals. The ritual is centered around the desecration of the Eucharist, which is generally done by using a consecrated host and a profane sexual ritual, and, or defecating or urinating on it. <clears throat> Daniel says that his plan to follow the ritual uh, pretty closely expects that the woman who serves as the altar will be dressed in keeping with the civic center's requirements to abide with the law. The, no, the nude altar has to be dressed. There won't be public urination, he said. Oh, goodness gracious. We would proceed to do this satanic consecration by forcing Jesus into the, into the bread. At that point, there will be things yelled at the bread, talking about how it is worthless. Uh, it's a worthless Chamberlain who does, doesn't do its job, and all it does is sleep and doesn't answer any prayers and allows for its own people to be hurt, and because of it, has killed millions of our brothers, brethren meaning pagans and Satanists alike throughout the centuries. At that point, it will be da uh, dashed to the floor, and the deacon and the subdeacon will be smashing it and stomping on it. An archdiocese spokeswoman decli declined to arrange an interview with Archbishop Coakley, but the lawsuit says that the archbishop is required and authorized by the Catholic Church to act as custodian of church property, of church property, and to safeguard and repossess church property, including the consecrated host. Whether or not the host in question was stolen, the lawsuit also outlines canon law on the proper treatment of the Eucharist and states. If an unauthorized individual has possession of a consecrated host, it, mu it must have been procured either by that person or by another, by illicit means, by theft, fraud, wrongful taking, or other forms of misappropriation. John Berger is the news editor of Aletia English Edition. And then the um, no last and final thing, as we will probably will be talking a little bit tonight, as usual, about the flat Earth and all the fast, all the false science out there. Um, one must be remember, 
reminded that Neil deGrasse Tyson presented Jesuit priest James Martin S.J. as the spokesman for religion justifying the heliocentric model, the Big Bang, and evolution. So one should think about those things. Now with that, thank you gentlemen for, for enduring my little dialogue there, but I thought that it was some very useful information as we go through this new year and with this journalization of the hierarchy and as they reveal more and more of their satanic agenda. Once again, Zen Garcia, thank you for joining me, and Brad Vornholm, thank you for joining me. John, how are you doing? Excellent. Glad to be here. Good. Thanks for having us on this evening. <laughs> now, you might ask yourself, why did I do that? <clears throat> yeah, well, last night we were talking, folks, and we were talking about many things. And one of the things I've been doing is I've been reading the, uh, the book of Adam and Eve and about how in the Kosh, Satan and his hosts have been here for a very long time, long before, even before we have. And I think there's real relevance in this, whether it's just maybe you might find it just superstition and childlessness and strangeness. or, But apparently for thousands of years, there have been men and women who have been doing this, you know, channeling and trying to have the good graces of Satan in his house. And I find that still, even 2015, nothing has changed at all. Zen, do you have any comments about that? Could you share a little bit about that? Well, you know, the powers, these principalities, the rulers of darkness, um, they are the, the entities at the top of the Illuminati pyramid. They are the all-seeing eye. And so what we are witnessing here um, as far as current events and the coming forth of the New World Order and and now with the Internet, the exposure where the masses are learning out, learning about these rulers, the sons of Cain and how they've been ruling from the shadows. And they've been doing the bidding of their father, the devil, as Christ put it in um, Matthew, that you are of your father, the devil. And the, it's very literal. And what he describes also in Matthew chapter 13 with um, the enemy that snuck into the garden and that sowed the tares and that um, when the angels asked him, do you want us to uproot the tares? He said, no, let both grow together until the time of the end and that's where we are now and this is why we see in those that have come forth like i'm doing an interview tomorrow night with carolyn hamlin and she is um one of those that was raised in these illuminati families and was part of these ritualistic bloodlines and they do perform these kind of satanic rituals. They're involved in pedophilia. Um, and she gives an insider report on what she calls the establishment and the plan um, and talks about it lines up with what is revealed in the protocols of the learned elders of Zion and all these other 
um, insider techs, Illuminati insider techs, because they're not trying to hide their agenda. Um, It's my opinion that they actually speak it out and share it with the masses, and that's one of their ways of laughing at everybody and making fun of everybody and uh, hiding everything in plain sight. Um, And the Masons and the secret societies, they openly worship, especially at the higher levels, uh, Lucifer as the light bearer, Satan as the adversary, and they don't try to hide it. Um, And it's it's written and it's come it's totally um, open as far as like morals and dogma, the the Bible of the Masonic, um, you know, these secret societies, and uh, he even declares it in there and. And so all these things, even though they're shocking and um, they seem just bizarre to people that haven't studied or looked into the conspiratorial side of what's going on in the world, um, people that don't know about the other side of it, 9-11, government-sponsored terror, you know, how the vaccines are um, creating and perpetuating disease and the poisons that are in the food and the water and and all these things just seem like total lunacy, the chemtrails. But when you do the, your research, they're very true and they're manifestations of this war between the sons of light and the sons of darkness, as it says in one of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And, um, and this is the ongoing war that began in heaven and the rebel angels being cast out, as you said, before we were placed here and before modern humanity was created. And that the, it's a continuation of the enmities which occurred in the garden. Is uh, the government uh, with Satan, her impregnation with Cain, um, this enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, the lineage of Cain and the lineage of Seth, the wheat and the tares, the goat and the sheep, um, the those that follow the broad path of destruction and those that follow the narrow way. It's the, the left-hand path and the right-hand path, those that are priests and those that are kings, you know, the, the divine right to rule and then the rest of us, the useless eaters. And so that's what's going on. And unless you awaken to this... Um, you really don't know who your enemy is. I agree with you. Do you think, uh, you know, I was looking at, I've, I've mentioned this, we've talked about this before, but I want to talk about it again because I really do, I'm getting, well, there's a couple of things I want to say. First, you know, they, you said about, you know, conspiracy, and if you don't know that the conspiracy theories or there's conspiracies out there, but, you know, they, they like Reality. to call, yeah, that's real. That's what I was going to say. The truth is, is that we are really talking about the truth is we're talking about reality. We're not talking about conspiracy theories. We're talking about reality now, folks. I just shared with you some reality, the intros of this this show. None of this is made up. And uh, so w- what do you do about that? I mean, <laughs> except you got to be honest about it. I'm, I'm, now, I'm thinking about all these extra-biblical, quote-unquote, texts that were taken out, that they say no longer, you know, you know they're, they're blasphemous and they're misleading, and yet 
as I'm reading this stuff, it's making the picture much, much clearer. I think about this, and I think about the public school system. I think about religion as a whole at this point. I think about everything that's going on in our lives. Every institution out there is actually designed to keep us ignorant, not only dumb down, but ignorant of the truth. Do you get gentlemen recognize this? Do you recognize what I'm talking about here? What do you think, Brad? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I think I think to what 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 you were saying, Zen, Zen, you are you articulated that very well. And and I think the first thing to battle against this is just being aware of it and knowing it and it, you know, they throw the label of conspiracy theorist around and fear monger. Yeah. They throw those labels around so loosely, um, and, and put so much, um, uh, emotion and hatred or animosity behind it that people often are afraid to speak out and, and say how they, how they feel or what their reality is. Um, but once you can, my experience has been once you can get someone to uh, look at the actual reality of it, it's extremely empowering to uh, be able to see through the smoke and mirrors and the uh, uh, hidden in plain sight um, and see past all the labels and, and uh, once you're able to see that, then you then you are in in a place of true reality, and then you're able to understand what takes place in the world around you. And and for me personally, and for the people that I know that have been able to uh, get past the labels that are thrown around and see it for what it is, um, are reinvigorated and, and empowered to recognize um, the world for really what it is. Yeah. What's your take yeah. on that? What do you have well, I want to share something really quick from the Apocalypse of Moses because okay. this will kind of reemphasize um, from Scripture the what we're talking about. It says this. Um... And after this, Adam and Eve were with one another, and while they were sleeping, Eve said to Adam, Her Lord, my Lord, Adam, behold, I have seen in a dream this night the blood of my son Amibiles, who is Abel, who is styled Abel, being poured into the mouth of Cain, his brother. And he went on drinking it without pity. But he begged him to leave him a little of it, yet he hearkened not to him, but gulped down the hole nor did it stay in his stomach, but came out of his mouth. And Adam said, Let us arise and go and see what has happened to them. I fear lest the adversary may be assailing them somewhere. And they both went and found Abel murdered by the hand of Cain, his brother. And God said to Michael the archangel, Say to Adam, Reveal not the secret that thou knowest to Cain thy son, for he is a son of wrath. And so... You know, this whole story, um, talking about Cain killing his brother and then consuming his blood, uh, it goes all the way back to, you know, to the enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And there's another text when, you know, after you both comment, I'll 
um, read a little bit from it, but it is the most interesting um, passage because it gives us an insider's view of what's going on with the elites and what they think about their the differentiation between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent because they absolutely believe that there is a physical and a DNA and a genetic difference. Um, it actually won't take me long to pull it up, but it's, you know, again, it's one of those things that is totally mind-blowing. I added this to my um, book, the, the second edition of my fourth book, Lucifer, Father of Cain, because it was just so mind-blowing and so, um, you know, insightful as far as what it presents. And so let me let me get you to comment, and then I'll find it, and I'll read this for you, and then get you guys to comment afterwards, because you're just going to be like, wow. Okay. You want to say something? You want to start off? Brad, or you want me to? Um, no, go ahead. Okay, well, the thing I was thinking about, of course, because I started out the show with reading these articles about uh, the devil Hughes. <laughs> uh, it, but, you know, I'm not really laughing at him. I'm laughing at the absurdity of it. I feel actually a lot of empathy and compassion for the man. The man actually reveals a little bit in the article about how he grew up in a a home that uh, his father was, you know, this rock and roll dad that uh, was abusive. What does that exactly mean? Those are all kind of code words, folks. At least for me, because I was in the music industry. And what I'm, we're talking about now is what uh, a little bit about what Zen was talking about. These these tears, if you will, <laughs> these people that really are, are really Satan worshippers. They really do worship uh, Lucifer and uh, his hosts. They do believe uh, that they will receive riches, and, and actually they actually do in this world. Uh, they condemn themselves for all eternity, but they don't seem to really care. They seem to be more concerned about the here and now. And here's a guy who becomes a quote-unquote Catholic priest, and it really doesn't matter if he's a Catholic priest or an Ethan Orthodox priest or if he was uh, a, a Baptist pastor. The fact of the matter is, is that he's blatant, right in front of your face, making a mockery of God. Here's a guy, you know, he does a show and he has his fifth of Jack Daniels and his skull and uh, and, and, uh, talk, and pictures of naked wit around him talking as if he's a representative of Christ. Now, this is very disturbing and I got a feeling that this is something that's been going on from the very get-go. When we think about Cain, and here's, it, once again, you know, yeah, there's another thing about Hughes, you know, he's promoting Guns. I don't have any problem with self-defense. I don't have a problem with anybody having a gun. But I don't have any of this. I don't have any of this fervor that we got. You know, guns and shooting guns. I don't even have a gun. I don't even have a desire to have a gun. Um, I believe my my protection is in my faith in my Lord and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. And wherever it takes me is where it takes me. And if he <clears throat> wants me to burn at a stake or wants some dude to show up someday and rob me and sh- do whatever then or if he doesn't want any of that to happen it's he's in control so why would i want to be focusing on this but you can see the messages that were coming out of that article coming out of this individual and none of it is really of god and so the back at cain and his his response to abel and his i i, I just 
you know, I've been angry before, but my anger has never been, I've never in my life have ever had, ever, and I've had some cruddy things happen to me, had the desire to kill anybody. So I can't comprehend it. And the only thing I can think about is whatever Cain has and the tear has, apparently you and I don't have. I would assume that the rest of you, the two of you don't have. I certainly don't. I have no desire to kill anybody. I never had. You know what I mean? Only I only been in one fight, and that was out of self-defense. And then, even then, I, I remember after I beat up the kid, I felt so bad, I cried in front of him, in front of all of his his, his buddies, because I didn't want that to happen. So I just don't understand it. So, what do you want to say, Red? Uh, yeah, um, I agree. I don't. Uh, I don't think violence is um, ever the answer. Um, and it is kind of scary to think about that stuff. Um, you know, one of the things Zim said earlier about how these uh, Satanists and people are into uh, pedophilia and, and sacrifice and all that kind of stuff, you know, some of the studying that I've done and, and what I've come across is it seems as though they're, if you read some of the 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 stories of the queen uh, and, and not not just the current queen but some of the the older uh queens of England and kings you know they were into the drinking of blood and uh, you know the creator specifically said you know not to drink the blood not to eat anything of blood um you know there was really strict dietary rules um and so I th- there, there's a couple things that 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 between the scriptures and between what these Satanists and uh, and people that believe in these um, sacrificing and drinking of blood, um, there's a couple levels to it, I believe. And one is um, access. Um, yeah, they don't seem to allow people access to the masses through either media or entertainment or uh, any mainstream access to the masses without uh, first compromising yourself in a way that could completely destroy yourself. So um, my thinking is that they record you uh, uh, sacrificing something or being involved in a sacrifice um, or, or pedophilia, um, some way that you're compromised so that um, they can hang that over your head because there's no trust, um, there's no honesty between them, there's only uh, you know violence and leverage. And so if you want access, uh, you know, and that's part of the selling your soul to the devil process, I believe, is, is you know, putting yourself in a compromising position where they have the control over you to take you down and destroy you if you don't march to the rules of, of the game. Um, the other thing that um, is quite fascinating to me is this idea of the drinking of the blood, of the... Um, uh, of the longevity, um, there, there's, 
you know, there's been some reports and some studies out there of people who have received large blood transfusions, um, receiving memories. Um, oh, wow. That, that they didn't have before the blood transfusion. There's also reports and studies out there of, of um, people who have received large blood transfusions developing skills and interests that they didn't have before so um what may be the case i have to i'll be honest with you my own personal experience with my multiple sclerosis because i have it's called relapsing remitting and i'm at more than the advanced stage although not in a wheelchair right now thank goodness i have been and i still have to walk with a cane and i can't run or do anything and so but anyways regardless of that they the past couple relapses I've had, they've actually given me plasma transfusions for like five days, which is the same thing what you're talking about. It's blood transfusion, right? It's plasma. And there's a way to sustain my life and, and, and keep me going because really I probably should be actually in a nursing home right now or dead based on uh, the disease that I have and the relapses I've had. So there is a truth to that. But in the same token, you know, I have to give encouragement to people about something. My, I have discovered the thing in my life the past couple of years, the thing that maintains me and keeps me going more than anything is my the developed abiding faith in my Lord and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's what keeps me going and keeps my, you know, me directed on a more, well, on him and a more meaningful thing, you know what I mean, than just uh, what I can get out of the here and now, so. I see that what happens a lot of times with this, if you follow the left path, which doesn't seem to be, which is really the broad path, that, uh, you know, your whole focus is going to be about the here and now and what you can get out of this world and how big of a box or a house you can get and your trophy wife and the status of men and all that kind of thing. But I don't have any of that. None of that. So, yeah. you know what I mean? And, I, and, the, and um, so I really believe that the power of faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ overrides everything that happens here. I really do, from my own personal experience. So. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think you know we talked, touched base on this, uh, you know, last night. You know, it's the you know, he shepherds. If, if we're under his authority and protection, he shepherds us through uh, this, this realm and this this life and keeps us safe. And protects us from that. Um, yeah, that's, and that's I think what ha what is lacking with the folks that you're talking about a compromise. They don't have the spirit of God with them. They don't have uh, the, that abiding faith in Christ, and therefore their faith is in this world and and what they can get out of it in their own abilities and abilities of others. And I really believe that if you're a follower of Yeshua the Messiah, you're not going to be the president of the United States. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, agree. <laughs> you're just not going to be there. You're not going to go down that path, and he's not going to let you. Yeah, they're just not going to give you access. Um, and the person, and the person that wants to follow Yeshua and the Creator um, is not going to want access anyway. So, um, you know, on that same on that same note, just to finish out my thought, um, you know, if you put yourselves in in, in you know, a, men, a fun mental exercise is to put yourself in the shoes of uh, a billionaire and 
What a trap! What a what a what a trap! What a what a Satan's most most brilliant traps of all. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so you know you have all the money that you would ever need for generation after generation to come um, to be able to uh, buy and live any way that they chose to do so. Um, so there's really no need to work. There's no need to... Um, the, the only thing, you know, if you take it out to its full extension and you think about it and, and exercise your mind around what it would be like to be in that situation, I mean, these people have jets, um, their own private jets, and they can hop in a jet um, uh, just like you and I can walk out our front door and hop in our car and drive down uh, to the grocery store. They can hop in their private jet and hop across um, uh, the, 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 the earth to a different location just as easily and simply and, uh, and relatively for the same cost that it costs you and I to gas up our car, right? right. So there's really no difference in that except they have a larger neighborhood that they move about. And so borders mean nothing. Borders mean nothing to them. Uh, cost of fuel means nothing to them. Uh, they have the ultimate freedom to move about this, this earth um, and do anything that their heart desires. Uh, the only thing that they don't have that they can't purchase, which they try, is longevity. Oh, even something more important, uh, I think, is which is the uh, peace in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I cannot imagine the torment. Well, let me rephrase it. I can actually imagine their torment. Before I came to the Lord, I was a very much a driven man about self, 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 about what the world thought about me, about what I could acquire, you know, now, you know, how many times have been beat up, you know, you know, I'm a loser, I'm a failure because I'm not adding, meeting up to the standards of this satanic system. I know exactly the horror, the torment, the fear, the desperation that all these people have. Yeah, they have their trinkets, and yeah, they can go their places here and there. But you know what? Is it real freedom? I don't believe so. I think they're so enslaved, so ensnared. And how many of those also end up losing their firstborn in some kind of weird way, or one of their children? How many end up losing and cursing generations of their family in order just to have trinkets, pieces of, you know, what, you know, what, and now change, but of these talismans, these dollar bills with all their satanic symbolism, their God, who is their God? I feel, I feel, I feel terrible for these people. Right. I used to have anger for them, you know what I mean? And what crooked, terrible people they are, but now I feel absolute sadness and pity for them. I really do. I really, and I, I know that sounds kind of condescending and all that, but I really do feel that way. I feel like that these 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 people really are cursed. Well, what do you have to think about that? What do you have to say about this, huh? Well, I'm going to read this real quick first, because um, but yeah. Well, I guess I'll comment. Um, I I feel for them too because it's not all roses and butterflies and daisies. Um, like 
you know, having interviewed, because I've interviewed Carolyn, um, I don't know, maybe six, seven times now. And she talks about how as a young child, you know, she was abused from the time that before she even had memory to remember. And that, um, you know, from her whole family, those people that you trust to take care of you and to um, comfort you at night and uh, protect you from others. And they were her abusers and her torturers. And from a a very early age, she talked about how um, they had instituted into these bloodlines, into these Illuminati families, uh, programmers that would teach the young girls how to please these older gentlemen and not just men, but, you know, they're bisexual in the Illuminati. And um, they basically raised her as a sex slave and she knew no difference um, and thought this was normal until she realized it wasn't. But, you know, it was long, many years and much pain and suffering and much mental anguish and um, split personality. And I mean, and they do this, they do this to their own children, you know? I mean, and so the, the suffering is ungodly and is it worth it? I mean, for the money and for the prestige and because so many do run like herself, she ran from, um, once she uh, was had the free will to understand that all that was not right, and when she discovered Christ, she ran from it and escaped from it and was protected from it. And there are many others, like I was talking about Savali last night when you guys were talking about Greg Zemanski, and um, she was one that also spoke about how as a young girl, she remembered being taken with all these other young children down into this um, almost like a underground bunker beneath one of these castles or what maybe it was in, even in the Vatican. I don't remember exactly, but um, she talked about seeing this obsidian black, very smooth table where they had offered and sacrificed this young child. And her and these other young kids, they were forced to endure and to witness and to be silent about um, having witnessed that. And this occurred to them many times. And she was raised to be one of these programmers that when she was younger in her teenage years, um, she was the teacher, you know, she was teaching and programming and um, and doing these things to others. And so it's a, it's insane, the insanity of these bloodlines and what they even do to their own children, you know? I mean, and then the for the masses, they have no concern and no care, no compassion. That's why they're able to, when they do reach um, a place of prestige as far as prime ministership or presidency or some kind of um, head of, you know, they're just puppets on a string and they are doing the bidding of those that are truly the powers um, from behind the scenes, the 
Oz behind the mask, and and um, they have no qualms at all with um, signing the the death warrants of many innocent people, uh, instituting things like torture and indefinite uh, detention, and you know all all of these things that totally um, are harmful and and hurt other human beings. There's no no compassion, no feeling for any of that. Um, but anyways, I'm going to read this story for you because uh, I think you will benefit and your listeners will benefit from um, me sharing this. And just to set the, uh, set the background, set the foundation for what I'm going to be reading because this is only an excerpt um, and you can find the full story in my fourth book, Lucifer, Father of Cain, and the uh, bonus edition in the second edition portion about it. But anyways, um, this individual, he inherited his friend's investigative research. And his friend was one of the top DNA genetic researchers. Um, and he was hired by an individual that was one of these elitist and one of these that were raised in these Canaanite families and he had been taught by his family that they were uh, different and they were superior and they were genetically psychically more apt than the regular population and he wanted to know if there truly was a genetic anomaly associated to the sons of Cain so he hired this individual to do this research. But before he was able to finish, um, both the doctor and the individual that hired him were suicided. Um, and, and so this individual that shares the story that I'm about to read, he inherited his research. And this is the conclusions and the determination that... Um, he, he had come to as far as what he was getting himself into. And so it says this. In his notes, my friend penned some personal thoughts after having considered his observations and the source of his DNA materials. On the plane ride back stateside, my friend, who at the time was one of the most knowledgeable DNA researchers on the planet, plane, of course, pulled out the biggest piece of mental jerky I've ever gnawed on. His benefactor, test subject, believed that while most of the sons of Adam had double-strand DNA, he had been told by his family that he and his blood relatives were distinctly different and that he, like his fathers before him, had triple-strand DNA. He wanted my friend to secretly prove once and for all if this was true or not. The subject claimed that his extended family and their cousins who are kings, queens, princesses, and princesses, as well as leaders of industry and banking worldwide, believe they are children of an otherworldly race of humanoid beings. He'd been taught by his tutors that once upon a time, his ancestors had fallen to earth after some cosmic calamity in the time before the garden. 
He believed that while their ancestral mother was Eve, their ancestral father was not Adam. He was torn to know if a child of Cain was actually genetically different and whether he could be saved. He thought of the Vatican's pronouncement that the aliens are our cousins and the Vishnu teachings of a time when God flew in spaceships and destroyed whole cities in a single blast. He even had notes about Elijah being caught up in a chariot of fire. Maybe he had misread or misunderstood the entire history of his Bible. Maybe from Genesis to Revelation, it was about some far more tangible and real fallen angel alien cousins than the ghost-like destroying angels he's always pictured in his imagination. It only matters what they believe because our original subject is relatives who are kings, queens, princesses, and princesses, as well as leaders of industry and banking worldwide. They believe and act as though they are children of another worldly race of humanoid beings, but not human only, hybrid human, more than human, superior alien humans. Our subject and his kin had been taught by their families and tutors that once upon a time, their ancestors had fallen to earth after this cosmic calamity in the time before the garden, and he believed that while their ancestral mother was Eve, their ancestral father was not Adam. They believe they are our humanoid cousins, superior hybrids, half alien and only half human. They once reigned from Olympus and were pharaohs. Whatever the real truth of their history, their belief is the driver of their actions. Being the true believers they are, they will continue to operate in accordance with their belief and the laws of alien, Darwinian-type survival. And that's why they interbreed to maintain the purity of their bloodline. That's why they secretly meet and connive to pass power between themselves. And that's why they must fool the rest of mankind into wars of self-destruction and debt so that we may be forever enslaved to their lust on this prison planet till death do us part. More than afraid, they know in their hearts this is a fight for survival. And it had begun just as my friend had said, as a murder investigation, starting with the first murder, when that Luciferian demon dad had first whispered of the evil deed to his willing child, Cain. It continued down through time, the sons of Adam fighting for survival and destroying the alien giant in Canaan land, David and the hybrid Goliath, and his four hybrid brothers, and all the hidden true believers since, hiding in plain sight, so powerful and so important, yet so, so afraid. These earthbound half-cousins of ours continue to laugh, but it is a nervous laugh at that, as they have a joke or two at our expense, recreating their lying father's fall to earth, and flashing their heretofore secret Masonic gang 
gang signs, hand signs to each other right in our face. I know now how dangerous their beliefs are because they are being driven by their beliefs, taught to them by their real alleged father, the father of lies. And even now he knows the truth and whispers in his initiate's ears, just as he first did in Cain's ear. The sons of Adam, as long as they live, are dangerous. And that's the end of it. Interesting. Now, where, where is this again? Where, where is this story from? Um, it's from um, a, a report that was released by um, Steve Quell uh, in one of his alerts. I think it was in February um, 2015 or something like that. I don't remember exactly. I have it sourced um, in my book, Lucifer, Father of Cain, the, the full story where it tells you about the investigation, about his friend being murdered, and also about the test subject being murdered. I just took, you know, an excerpt out of it, the most um, interesting and as far as insightful in what we're talking about this evening uh, to share with you and to give you uh, an insight on this story. But it's very long. It's... um. I don't know, maybe eight pages in my book, but it's um, very detailed and um, very insightful when you read the the fullness of the story. Wow. It's terrible. It makes me think about this uh, Jesse the Devil uh, Hughes. Uh, uh, Because, you know, did his father put him through all that? You know what I mean? Um, I would put my money on it, but that's the case. We see this over and over again. If people are willing to look at it, it's a very awful, dark subject that most of us don't want to explore. And that is this: uh, these pedophile rings, this uh, satanic rings that are everywhere. <clears throat> Doesn't matter if it's America, Canada, Britain, France, Italy. Doesn't matter. It's everywhere. Every society and culture has these people at the top and uh, that have been manipulating and uh, indoctrinating us and deceiving us for a very, very, very long time since, well, it looks it's looking like from the very beginning. It, may, it makes you think about, you know, the times of, you know, when during the, the flood and the times of Noah and, and how bad was things? Things must have been really bad, a lot worse than we can imagine. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, are we, you know, Christ said that these times, they would come, and uh, again, in his second coming, that it would be as the days of Noah. I mean, what exactly was he saying there, you know what I mean? That's the thing that, another thing that makes me think <clears throat> that a lot of the uh, the scriptural truths have been, because that's a huge question. A huge question. Listen, we think about it, and I'm sure every, all three of us, have, when we read that, we thought, well, what is exactly does that mean? And yet there's a giant, it's just a couple sentences. There. That's all it is. And that's not, I, I just don't believe that that's the way God would operate. I think he would give us a lot more information about that particular time, uh, times of Noah, and and his second coming. And um, 
I think that it's the powers that be that we're talking about, these Luciferians, these uh, rulers of evil, these people that run the, the show, have deliberately um, taken out a lot of the truths, just given us the bare-bone truths of, of text, just enough. And I guess God has allowed that. He saw that just just enough for one to make a decision. And then after that is how much of uh, how serious are to know God, because I've come to realize, although I have you know I have faith in Jesus Christ, it's now become a journey that's much different than I ever thought it would ever take me. And I see this with so many other uh, folks that are truly trying to follow our Lord and Savior and, and uh, our true, the true and living God, that it takes you on a path and a journey that you just would not expect. It's, it's, it doesn't sit conveniently, conveniently in a nice package where you just go to church on Sunday and belong to a group. He takes you to places where you just, you know, once again, as the title of the show goes, you know, the truth and the way, the way, the truth and the life, you know what I mean? It changes you completely. You see things you never, never would have considered or saw before in a different light. So I don't know. What do you, what do you have to say, Brad? Do you think? Um, yeah, I agree. I think, um, uh, you know, it's like, it's like a weightlifter building muscle. First, you have to uh, break the muscle down and rebuild it. And, um, you know, we have, we have to, uh, you know, that's how we, our spiritual journey is as well. I mean, we have to uh, be patient and we have to, to wait. And, and there's story after story of, of the patriarchs being incredibly patient, waiting for the creator to come through for them at the very last moment. And, you know, that is the spiritual journey. And, and it is a, it is a continual test and as we discussed you know last night it is uh is a journey of maturing and growing and you don't mature and grow without pain and um you know if you recognize it as that it is oftentimes uh good pain because you are are learning and exploring and stuff and you know as you mentioned her just just briefly a, a moment ago you know looking into some of this darker stuff is is stomach turning and disgusting but uh you know and there's been many a time i've had to just get up from my computer or put the book down and walk away and go for a walk out in nature because i'm so repulsed and so disgusted at what i'm reading and and learning and understanding um but you know, once you've made it made it through that, and 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 the the trials and tribulations of our life, once you make it through those trials and tribulations, um, I mean, I love to read the story of Job and look back at the story of Job. I mean, he was so uh, he was he persevered, you know, through. Uh, unbelievable trials and tribulations. He persevered, never gave up uh, on the Creator, and he was, in the end, blessed incredibly for it. And uh, his blessings bless us today, just because we are able to read the story of 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 his trials and tribulations. 
Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm thinking about, too, is I think about what happened to Eve. Well, then what happened, uh, I discovered this from uh, Zen's work of, of, about Ham and uh, uh, Noah's second wife. Now we're talking about this again. It seems to be part of this whole uh, satanic agenda is uh, sexually violating another human being. It seems to be this over and over again. Satan was the first one who did it against uh, with with uh, with Eve, and then Ham with uh, <laughs> Noah's second wife. And now we're talking about this again. I, I I know it's a very dark subject matter to talk about. If you guys don't want to talk about, it, I understand. But it seems to be a big issue in all this. Uh, I don't know. Zen, what have you? You know, you've done a lot of. You know, obviously you must have thought about this if you discovered what happened with. Uh, 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 Noah and his second wife and Ham and, and, and Eve and and Satan. I mean, what the heck's going on here with this? You know, I find that this is the one thing that even those that are the most holy and righteous as far as um, sexuality and the carnality of this world, that they will be holy in every way like the you know different preachers and pastors ministers but when it comes to uh, sex and being deviant in that way they they will give um, give themselves liberty uh, to indulge and they feel like if they're you know as far as if they're holy in every other way then um, they can you know, be liberal in their sexual demeanor. And I find that the sin, the enmity, you know, the beguilement, the sexual nature that even Eve um, eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge, good and evil, and how that really is metaphorical, symbolic of her being beguiled by the serpent, impregnated with Cain. Um, This is the one sin that consumes this world so so much that it causes the downfall uh even the angels you know like uh, the watchers like if you, if you read the story of the watchers in the Kebra Nagas in chapter 100 they were holy angels and they were um with Yeshua but they were jealous of Adam and they told on him like almost like little kids they told him um Yeshua about his sin and how he had been told only one thing as far as to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and yet he did it anyways after um, Eve had fallen and had done so, and then he repeated the act with her. And, um, And so these angels, they tell Yeshua that they would not fall if they were placed in the flesh. And so he takes them up on their, um, on their boasting and he places them into bodies of flesh. He gives them male bodies and they are supposed to come down to the heavens because they leave their place of habitation, as it says in the book of Enoch. But they are supposed to come down to the earth and they're to, uh, supposed to testify um, and to be a, uh, testimony and a testament as to 
the Father and the Son and all, the whole plan of salvation and how all that has already been, you know, because of the the fall, how there was a plan of salvation, a rescue mission um, to bring and to example everybody how to get home and how to have a return to our first estate, you know, remember from whence thou art fallen. And immediately when they come down, it says they see the daughters of Cain scenting themselves and um, indulging in the orgies without shame. And they go a-whoring after the daughters of Cain. Um, And immediately, and then they they know that they are about to commit a, a grievous sin and that it will cost them dearly because of they're um, basically begging Yeshua to place them into the flesh and allow them to come down to the to the earth and to be a testament for him. And he tells them, be sure that you don't fall away, you know, and that you don't um, do as the, the children of men. And being placed in the human flesh, they immediately fall. I mean, like, um, they come down and then they make this uh, mutual imprecations. They make this pact to commit to this sin and commit to this way, this action, because um, they know that if they take of wives of the daughters of men, that they're gonna um, they're gonna be judged for it and they're gonna um, they're gonna be punished for it, and yet they choose to do it anyways. And so um, it just shows you the kind of um, temptation that a sinful nature um, that a sexual deviance uh, the the calling to indulge and to enjoy in the pleasures of this world that it can entrap even angels you know and it calls um, everybody because like I remember the story of like individuals like Ted Haggart and how he was involved with um, a male prostitute, and he was uh, smoking crack with this guy, and he got caught, you know, and he had to admit it to his congregation. But how many pastors, that that has been their downfall, you know. I, and all these TBN pastors, Jim Baker, and how he fell, and then there was a, the Benny Hinn, and um, he got caught up with a, another pastor's wife um i forget exactly what her name is but she also is another another one of those big time tbn tv preachers and all of them they get caught up in this sexual sin and they fall away and they get because they're public figures they get caught and they get busted and um it's just uh it just shows you how alluring and how um, difficult it is to remain. And just like Paul said, um, he wanted to present, um, that Yeshua wanted to present Eve as a chaste virgin to to Adam, but because of her beguilement, she, um, she wasn't a chaste virgin. That's interesting. And, you know, I, I think about my own self before it came to the Lord, you know, I was a man of the world. Of course, that was a big part of it. So you know, we all were. 
yeah, I was a womanizer and I had to go in after the flesh and pretty women and all that kind of stuff. And I think of all, you know, there is, I hear, you know, the, a lot of guys or a lot of other people say, oh, there's no consequence, there's no problem unless there's, you know, as long as there's mutual consent between two adults, there's no problem. I disagree. From my own personal experience, everybody that I've ever dealt with as far as women in, in a relationship, it, it, uh, there's, it's, it's, and it breaks up that kind of thing, the or just whatever. There's something happens spiritually, emotionally. I don't also believe that there is absolutely no way for a man or a woman to have any defense <clears throat> to the sexual urges uh, that we have, unless there we have continuous abiding faith in Jesus Christ. At the same token, I don't agree with a lot of things that are going on. One of the things that's most dreadful things is like these Catholic priests and what they have to endure with uh, their unnatural <clears throat> requirements, you know, of them to becoming quote celibate and, and inevitably and nuns and you know having them just end up uh, doing what everyone else does, having uh, affairs, uh, fornicating, committing adultery, uh, the catacombs or these tunnels from nunneries to the diocese, there's many of them throughout uh, Europe and this country and Canada. You'll find the corpse of babies that were aborted. <clears throat> you just, and the more and more you look into this stuff, you go, there is a huge element to the fall of man and how Satan manipulates us uh, through our sexual desires. And it is a very important thing to talk about. You need to talk about it in a way that's very mature, I think spiritually and realistically. And because uh, it is the battle that brings many a people, person down, many a person down, our sexual desires. And uh, I think from one, the only experience that I've, that, that's ever worked for me is if I focus on my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean I have to become a pastor or a priest or anything like that. I just need to focus on him. I need to focus on Scripture. I need to focus on what's going on in this world. I need to focus on him and what his promises are and not what my lust and desires and passions are. I know a lot of people don't want to hear this, and I think this is also this Luciferian uh, satanic system exploits is our lusts, our passions, our selfish desires, and has this empty promise that they can all be fulfilled. And in the end, what it leaves is use an empty vessel uh, ripe for a host of Satan to possess or you know, or something else. You know, uh, it's uh, it's really quite disturbing to realize that you actually live in Babylon, and it has you know, you could call it United States, but Canada's the same way, and Mexico, and France, and China. This, this world at this point is so there is nowhere else to run at this point. My except in my 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 experience, there is nowhere else to run at this point except to my Lord Savior Jesus Christ. There's nothing else. And I, you know, I'll make one other I, comment real quick. Sure, but just let me finish this, and then we'll go. Sure. I just want to go back now to the book of Adam and Eve, and it was the same story with Adam and Eve, wasn't it? There was nowhere else for them to go. Yeah, it all goes back to the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, that's what caused the fall of man. But uh, I was going to say that you know people can maintain a healthy balance; that there's a sacred way to relate, and that sexuality is a, a blessing and a gift from the Most High for two people to share amongst themselves, you know, as far as being a 
a married couple of being in an intimate relationship and um, relating to each other in a way that is, um, you know, is a really a, a reflection of a godly walk and um, and that even Adam and Eve coming together, it says um, how, you know, two souls, when they merge and meet that way, that it's like, um, that it, they become one flesh. And yeah. really, when you make love to another person and the kind of experiences that you share and the feelings that you have, they take you to, um, uh, you know, it's it's like you're going to heaven. You know, it's like paradise. It's like ecstasy, nirvana. It's the highest feeling, the yeah. most incredible experience that you can share with another individual and those kind of things. Um, in a, done in a sacred way, they're absolutely the most holy experiences, you know. Um, and so there's a way to maintain a healthy balance. It's just that when you get perverted in your thoughts and you get led astray, like with the pedophile p- uh, priests, uh, even in, you know, John Perkins in the Conventions of um, Economic Hitman, they talk about how they corrupt people by offering them uh, children or, you know, or boys, um, you know, as far as catching them in homosexual acts, and then they take photos and they compromise them, um, videotape them, and then they're able to control them and to use them to for their own bidding because of these compromising, as far as the evidence that they have on these individuals. And, you know, there's so many people, like with the Internet, it makes porn just so easy. All you have to do is type a keyword, um, and it makes it accessible to all the children and the, this generation that sexual deviance becomes a very easy affair to, like, uh, romanticize in your mind and to uh, to see on the Internet or to see, you know, um, all the films and I mean, even MTV, you know, it's just, it's completely twisted. Everything is bombarding you to, um, you know, to cheat on your husband or your wife. Um, there's all these shows where, you know, the ex-housewives and um, mistresses. And, and so everything is encouraging you to explore um, sexual deviance and, you know, that's when you get yourself in trouble. And so, um, and so I wanted to say that just because I don't want people to think that we're frowning upon it because, uh, uh, you know, it's a gift from God and it's an absolute blessing, but you have to walk, um, you have to maintain the, the holiness of it. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, you're right. I think this is the issue, okay? So as a, I'm a guy uh, who's most of my adult life was, you know, not all that great. So I didn't have God in my life, and I was doing what I wanted. So like I, I have experience that I can just share. And I know what a lot of other men and women would go through. You know what? A lot of times there's these there's sexual interactions that we have with other people. You know, I have no idea about the pedophile thing. I have no idea about the bisexual thing or the homosexual thing. That was never put in me and driven in me. So, but, you know, I was a womanizer. So, and I look at myself and say, you know, all the times that I slept with a woman and I didn't really, you know, it wasn't because I cared about them. 
this is because I had, like you said, these perversions, these fantasies that I wanted to fulfill, and I was exploiting and using them. That's not love. That's just exploitation. And then if you see this happen all the time, it doesn't matter, man or woman, you say, well, I want this, and I, I want to have this, and I'm going to use this person. When it's all done, we kick them to the side, you know, we throw them under the bus. This is not what I believe God was meant for this, uh, between a man and a woman to, to happen. Uh, I, no, you know, I, yeah, I think it's, you know, you get together with a man, or, or you know, if you're a woman, you give the man, and man, or you give the woman, and you make a commitment to each other, and before God, that you're going to stick it out. I, I have my own opinions about state marriage and all that stuff, and I don't necessarily agree with that. I agree with the, and making a commitment between you two in front of God, God and others in that presence of God, and not some kind of, you know, state-run controlled situation where then in the end they end up being able to take advantage of your children, and you're going to find that a lot of these pedophile rings are being run through governments and they exploit the dysfunctional families and parents and right. kids and then you know what I mean? Exact. Yeah. Child protective services. Yes. And so <clears throat> I think why I think it's so important <clears throat> that we as a man and woman that we make that commitment to each other and God. <clears throat> first and foremost, you know. And actually, you know, if you think about that too, you know, like this big thing this this past year was uh you know, about gay marriage. Well, I personally think, you know, is because we live in Babylon, I think we went in the wrong direction. I think that Christians we said, hey, listen, government shouldn't have been involved in our marriage at all. Why don't we just have no government involvement in our relationships? Why don't we go back to commitment with God? Did, I, let me ask you this. Did Abraham and, and his wife, did they have to go to a government agency and get a license? Or did they go before God? You know, of course I mean, not. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing, you know. And in a day, that's really what it comes down to. And they will say, well, your boyfriend, girlfriend, or you're, you're not really married. Well, you know what? That's according to the state. That's controlled by Satan. So what do I care what they think? You know what I mean? What I care about is what I do with a woman and before God. And it's really weird right now because God's put me in a position where that's the worst thing in the world for me to be involved in is with a woman. I got, you know, I get fine example. I'll be a living example of it. I'll, I'll tell on myself. I'm a single father who raises my son on an average four to five days a week by myself while I'm battling MS. Why is that? Because back in the day when I first met his mother, I was involved in this and at the Unity Church and practicing all this uh, Luciferian stuff. I had no idea it was a time, but it was in the visualization and the things that I wanted in the world. And, well, Satan and his minion gave it to me. And they gave me a very dysfunctional woman. Yeah, we had great sex and all, but we didn't have a kid. And now that poor child's going to have to live the rest of his life in a broken, dysfunctional family because I did not listen to the Word of God and I did not, I didn't know it, first of all, and I didn't listen to the spirit that was telling me, deep down inside, it's telling me, you know what, you're not really doing the right thing. Are you really thinking about what's right here? So I'm no different and no less guilty than in a lot of ways than those angels that you talked about. The came uh, down to heaven, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> me too. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> well, hey, I, I think we should give um, Brad a chance to voice in if, if he should so yeah. desire. Absolutely. You know, you guys are doing so well. I'm just here admiring the the the, the good exchange, and uh, I too have uh, 
um, have lived freely in the world and um, and in my uh, and in our discussion, uh, Michael, last week, you know, I shared you know a bit of my journey and how um, I had, as the world would have you say, uh, um, arrived um, and the, in the sense of the world uh, was a, was a success, um, but uh, couldn't couldn't have been more unhappy and more miserable. And uh, after working so many years and so hard to get to that point, you know, and living of the world and being of the world and, and, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was an eye opener. And uh, so it, it is an, it is an amazing trap that, 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 you know, that, is set for us, you know, of flesh and of thinking that more is better and versus quality and, uh, you know, the, the, a bonded close relationship with someone you love and, and cherish is far greater than, uh, multitudes and, and, uh, so yeah, it's, it's interesting um, how how they set that how that trap is set through media and through society and and peer pressure and everything and then you get there and uh, you know it it's a, it's a snowball rolling down a hill it just gets bigger and bigger and you just until to the point where it just eats you alive eats your soul. Yeah, you know, it makes me think about uh, what happened to Eve, what her her uh, spiritual, emotional experience must have been when she screwed up with Satan. And also, we you know, in the fall when they were, you know, uh, taken out of the garden, and they were, you know, basically God gave them what the, the cave of the treasures. I don't know if you know about this, Brad, but I've been reading about this in the, the book of Adam and Eve, and the cave of the treasures, and how these, <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting that first 50 chapters it really talks a lot about this impulsive nature that part of the fall of man and how if satan exploited that uh, our fears and our worries or and our desires they wanted to, so much to go back into the garden they recognize you know uh, you know they didn't like what they were seeing and what they were in they were scared and terrified in this new world that we live in you know with uh, the night and the heat of the sun and the cold of the night and the darkness and all this kind of thing and and how Satan actually exploited our our, our desires and our impulsive nature and it seems to me like a part of the by uh, applying God's teachings in our lives and putting him first if one of the big things is not only to recognize him and he's our our solution but also that he gives us something called patience discipline to not act upon the impulsive desires that that plague us and i think that really this satanic system we live in it keeps us in a immature spiritual and emotional state for a very long time they call it uh, being uh, like a adult child that kind of thing where you know men and women although they might have you know phds and really responsible jobs but emotionally and spiritually they're so adolescent and so ignorant 
and so shallow that they're so easily preyed upon by the satanic system. So I think it's uh, really disturbing what we've, what we've been put in. I can only think of what it's like maybe a couple gen- or, you know, a few generations ago before all the, the television and radio and all these the lust for power and um, and career and money and things. How people had more patience and discipline, and it's and just in that, you know, how important that is. I mean, I can imagine. I don't know. You guys get what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we talked a little bit about that last night as well with with Chris, and I think I shared this with you um, last week. Um, his work with the Hebrew, um, the the self-defining Hebrew of what has been defined in the Bible as sin is literally to have fear. And, um, you know, I find that really inspiring and amazing to think about sin as fear. And, you know, that kind of dovetails with what you were saying in the the book of Adam Adam and Eve, um, which I haven't read all of it, but I've read probably the first half of it. Fascinating book. Um, it, it, it is true. And if you think about, think about the, the idea of to have fear and sin and what we have been told is sin or contrary to the creator's law, um, there's not anything that would we would not break a single one of creator's laws um, if we had no fear. You know, I I, I steal because I fear that I don't have enough. Um, I lie because I fear of the consequences or the outcome of me telling the truth. Um, uh, I cheat because I fear that I don't have enough love or I need more love, you know. So everything that we, in my mind, everything that is is a sin is the result of of fear. And if through the power of of the Holy Spirit and the Creator and the redemption of Yeshua, uh, we shouldn't have any fear and we should be um, free from any fear and, and confident to move through this life successfully. Yeah. Or at least we should have our fear directed in the right place, and we don't. We have fear of the things of this world and our own desires and wants, and, and you know, instead of <laughs> you know what God says, we don't seem to have much fear about Him. And <laughs> um, and I, I don't want to make that sound like you know God's terrible. I don't think He's terrible. The entity He's not this terrible being. He's uh, our heavenly Father. I believe is you know a just and loving God. I just think that. We don't have fear in the proper in the proper area. The consequence of our behavior, and we don't have the you know our fear is in these things of this world. So, um, but you know, I guess it's you know I look back, I look back at what happened in Adam and Eve in that book, the book of Adam and Eve, and what happened to um, uh, Adam and Eve when they had fallen and they were kicked out of the garden. Uh, the garden and uh, well, first started out because he didn't have a. a enough of the the right, I guess, 
uh, fear for God in his rules. You know what I mean? They broke it. They deliberately did it because they wanted something more than what God had to offer. So and then they, they, then they, they love their existence in this new world full of fear and confusion and worry and uh, how easily Satan and his hosts were able to, to manipulate them, confuse them, direct them. And as they were going to, I guess that one one of the part of the stories is when they they they, they Satan and his host uh, took them to uh, the top of this mountain. Uh, Zen might do, might do a better job explaining that, but you know, here again, God had to intervene and say, "Hey, whoa, stop things." But uh, <laughs> it seems to be that same story that uh, over and over and over again, because of the fall, that we our lack of faith in God, what He has to say. And how easy we all are to be manipulated without him. I I look at it like this because um, you know when we come into the flesh and we're born and even if we're raised in the church and we go to Sunday school and listen to the sermons and everything, when when a child reaches you know about the teenage years and they have this. Um, they go through puberty and they have all these raging hormones. I equate that to kind of the story of Eve, that when they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, being losing their bright nature, losing their immortality, being cast out of paradise, exiled here to the garden, um, to the earth, then being transformed into flesh and Eve being then tempted, beguiled, uh, she was much like, um, you know, the these girls that now um, are that are so ready and so willing to lose their virginity that they just want to be touched by whoever, just as long as they're touching them. I mean, it is crazy. The the uh, as far as the sexuality in young children now, especially with their being bombarded by MTV and everything that they see on TV, even at, at young, young, even younger now, like elementary school and um, at very young ages, they are wanting to engage in sexual, um, as far as sexual experiences and being touched for the first time. Um, you know, as, uh, it, it makes me think of Eve it, that she was just excited by the feeling and just by um, being caressed or loved and um, and and showered with. Because I I know Lucifer just you know he beguiled her in a very essential uh, way and it like these young girls. I mean, it was difficult for her to say no and to, to stop and to, um, to understand what she was going through just because this was a new experience. These feelings that she was having were completely new and they excited her and, you know, they were absolutely taking her breath away and she, uh, was feeling and having sensations that she never had before. And then just like uh, these young girls, she was wanting to experience that again and repeated the action uh, with Adam. Um, and, you know, and the Most High had foreseen this. This is why he told them when he 
cast them out of paradise that now I'm going to put you in the flesh. You're going to be transformed in the flesh. And in the first book of Adam and Eve, it speaks about this transformation and how they didn't even understand that they were walking when they were kicked out of the garden. Because uh, I guess they float around in their immortal bright nature. You don't have to walk. They didn't understand the experience of sunshine. They thought it was a monster to come to devour them, to burn them. Uh, they ne- had never experienced night. They didn't understand what it was to to eat or to drink or you know anything as far as the flesh. All those experiences were completely new to them. And so um, it's much like being uh, born a babe, but already being in adult form, you know, because they weren't birthed. They were created, and and then they fell. And so, um, and this is what all humans go through. You know, I was uh, the same way as both of you. I was running around... um, uh, be you know womanizing and also being involved in multiple relationships i didn't i didn't hold any kind of sanctity to uh a relating with another individual as far as a woman um and i didn't i was definitely not monogamous and i was had multiple girlfriends and uh i traveled a lot so i'd have girlfriends in different states and different cities and different towns and uh, talking to you know three or four of them at a time, and I'm sure you were the same way. And all of us, when we first, um, I think Zen, you're, Zen, Zen, I think you're a bigger stud than me. Just kidding. <laughs> well, no, I was just, uh, running wild as much as I could during sure. that time, um, and it wasn't until very much later that I learned that. You know, as far as a relationship and um, and engaging in a in a relationship with somebody that you care, that you can't do those kind of things because it totally destroys it. And once there's no trust, that you can never regain it. And if you really love somebody, and I'm sure that all of us have really been in love, um, but we don't honor the person or honor the relationship in a way that would preserve it as sacred. And so that's the problem. And it's challenging in this day and age because we're taught to seek out and to be as deviant as we can, you know, to, uh, to cheat on our spouses and to, if, um, even if you're married, if somebody comes into your day and, um, and you have a chance to uh, indulge, uh, why not, you know? And so that's the mindset of this day and age. And so as far as a holy and sacred relationship, that's a very rare commodity in, uh, in this world. And it seems to be the world's been designed just for that. What were we going to say, Brad? No, I was just going to say that, you know, the media around us uh, no longer has any examples of what a – uh, a normal, wholesome, uh, right. Right. You, know, you, you can't find it. Um, yeah, it doesn't exist. And yeah. they don't want it to. Right. And so, um, it, it, you know, a, again, it's, it's the dividing, it's the, the dividing and conquering and it's the ruling through fear. And, um, 
you know, I look back at the, uh, the, the years when I was, uh, playing the field and, and womenizing and the level of stress and strain on my life, um, you know, trying to play a full deck of cards was was not 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 you know I was thinking it was all great and awesome and stuff and because the world wants you to think like oh you're really macho you're a real big stud and all this kind of stuff right um, you know in in reality it 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 divides you it it uh, it fills you with fear and stress and. Uh, weakens your immune system and makes you sick and uh you know it's there's nothing nothing good about it yeah now you actually put your life at risk you know yeah well you know it goes back to some of your research uh at least i'm gonna go back to this zen is uh you talk about uh in your work about uh what happened after the flood with Ham and, and Noah's second wife. And uh, this seems to be the line of the Canaanites and all that other stuff, right? And seems right. to be what we are living under is their system. I don't even want to talk a little bit about that and what happened there. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, what what was going on in the mind of uh, uh, Noah's second wife? Did she do it to herself deliberately again, like we talk about what happened with, uh, with Eve? Uh, what happened there? Have you ever thought about it? Um, yeah, uh, I have thought about it, and um, I read this story from many different sources in, a, in order for me to be able to picture and to put together uh, what actually happened. And so the story, um, and this is supported by Scripture, and again, all of this is found in my um, fourth book, because most people don't understand and they believe that the seed of Cain was completely wiped out with the flood. But that's not the case. And the reason being is because, um, as it said in the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, Yeshua said, let both grow together until the time of the end. And at the end, he'll send his angels as reapers out to separate the tares for burning and the wheat for preservation. And so there had to be a remnant. Um, in order for the seed of Cain to have continuation. And also the giants, the Og of Bashan was spared, and I speak about this in my book as well. Um, He was the one giant, and it's crazy as it sounds, it talks about how Noah had harbored him, and he had ridden on top of the ark, and that Noah had fed him um, in order to preserve him, and it even says in Scripture that Og was the last remnant giant. And after the flood, he involved himself with the children of Ham. But I guess I'll, I'll tell the story of Ham first. Um, in the, there's two different angles of this. One is from the book of Jasher, and the other is from um, the writings of Abraham. Um, one speaks of, um, the book of Jasher speaks of, Japheth and Shem as being born of um, Noah's first wife and that um, Ham was not from the same mother and it doesn't say what had happened to her 
but it just says that um, Ham, you know, was conceived of a, a different line and a different wife, and that it was after the flood, after Noah had, um, you know, he had planted a vineyard and that the grapes had come to, um, became ripe and he had created some ferment and fermented some of them and created some wine that his wife was drunk. And even though it says that um, Noah was drunk, his wife was drunk too. And it says in Leviticus 18.8 that the nakedness um, of the of the father, it actually is when you see the nakedness of the father, that is actually a reference to um, the wife and, and to the mother. And so the story, and it says this specifically in the Targums, it says that the, what came about of uh, Ham seeing the nakedness of his father was that he was the father of Canaan, and Canaan was his fourth-born son. And because the Most High had blessed Noah and his wife and his three sons and their three wives, um, he did not curse Ham, but he cursed Canaan. And the reason he did so is because uh, Ham had slept with his mother and she became pregnant with his seed and um, bare his child, Canaan. And that's why Canaan um, is known as the usurper and because he, he took over the, in Shem's land in the drawing of the lot. Shem was to, um, was, had um, inherited the land of Israel, which came to be known as Canaan, because the Canaanites took it over uh, unjustly. And it was also um, because they did so and they had propagated there in the Middle East um, that also Og, the last remnant giant, he was involved with their line. That's why you have Nimrod being cited as a, a gibberim. And that the giants, you know, there were many afterwards um, because even Goliath was of that line, uh, the Philistine giant. And he came from the loins of Og and the children of Ham, the Canaanites. And so, um, and so the story is that, you know, Canaan uh, was cursed to be a servant unto Shem and Shem after the flood, he was known as Melchizedek, and it describes this um, in, in as far as the, the Book of Jubilees and also the Book of Jasher speaks about how uh, Shem was known as um, Melchizedek and how he was told to stay in this one particular area, which was, you know, Jerusalem. And the, Jerusalem was known as the City of Peace, and all the kings came to acquire from Shem and to get his advice because he was a very wise individual. And they wanted him to come to their territories, but uh, he was told by God not to leave that area and that land. And so these kings um, built up a city around him, and this came to be known as Jerusalem. And... Um, 
And this is when Abraham was, uh, I believe he was 13 years old. He was kept in a cave because um, Nimrod had received a vision. When Abraham was born, there was a vision of, um, as far as the, the wise men had read the signs and talked about how a child had been born that would usurp Nimrod and would uh, overthrow his kingdom and take his throne. And, and, um, and Terah was the high priest. He was the uh, high priest of Nimrod, and he was one of his advisors and counselors, and he knew that the Nimrod was going to be killing all, all of these young children. And the story of Abraham repeats in the story of Yeshua. It's um, amazing once you know the details of all that. But anyways, uh, an angel, uh, after, in, Terah places his mother and Abraham and his uh, nurse in a cave and keeps them hidden. And when Abraham is 13 years old, he, an angel leads him and he wanders off and he's not to be seen again until he's uh, 31 years old. And he uh, is led to the tent, the tabernacle where Shem and Noah are. And he is taught, uh, inducted into the ancient order of the um, Melchizedek priesthood and also what's called the Church of the Firstborn. You can read about all this in a book called The Writings of Abraham. But anyways, um, that you know, that's when he went back to the land uh, after he had been indoctrinated into this priesthood. He was sent to go back to the land of um, Shinar and, and to Sumer, Babylon, and to teach um, the knowledge of the most time because everybody was involved in idolatry. And when he destroyed all of his father's idols, his father gave him up to Nimrod. And that's when Nimrod was going to burn him, um, in that fire, just like Daniel and, the the other two and, um, and Abraham and, and there were a couple other that were, that was with him and he refused to leave. Um, it was hit, one of his kin was the head of, you know, like the security, the chief, um, the captain of the army, and he was going to break them out and allow them to escape and then report that they had escaped, but Abraham refused, and so they threw him into the fire, and he was preserved. And when they did so, they threw him into this fire, this furnace, um, the fire leapt out and scalded and burned so many of the the priests and the um, the chiefs, the captains of Nimrod's army. And when he saw that nothing had happened to Abraham and Abraham was preserved, he was called out. And then, you know, they were, they gave credit to the God of Nimrod and I mean, the God of uh, Abraham. Um, but then after that, he was led out, you know, and, and left um, and went to the land of Canaan. And that's when he was told that his seed would multiply as if the, as the stars of heaven and that uh, he would inherit that land. And that was fulfilled uh, when Moses led the Israelites out of the bondage of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. And then Joshua went into the land 
of Canaan and killed the sons of Anak because, you know, Og had propagated with the Canaanites and there were many giants um, living in the land during that time. And so you see the wars and the battles between giants, I mean, um, Joshua and the giants, the sons of Anak, um, for many years and for several of the the judges of um, Israel thereafter. Uh, and they didn't kill them all because, of course, you have the same thing with Goliath being the Philistine champion during David's day, and they were fighting giants. And even late in David's life, he, they were still wars with these giants and um his uh it talks about in chronicles and also in second kings how david's family they told him not to go to war with them anymore uh, they were worried about him and um and they hit some of his ancestors that killed the other four brothers of goliath and so you see these wars ongoing for a very long time um, and the seed of Cain and also the giants, they were preserved and they uh, made it through the flood and they propagated thereafter. You know, about the giants, uh, so prior to the flood, uh, what I'm getting from is an impression that prior to the flood, they were much larger than after the flood. And when Og started, I guess, you know, copulating, mating, mating with the human women or normal human women, I guess, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and so the size must have diminished. They were still large. Yeah, the Bible says they were that they're about what thirteen feet, eleven feet, thirteen feet, one that they talked about. Um, whatever it be, I don't know. But it, uh, is that your impression as well? That prior to the flood, they were much bigger. And if that's the case, is that the reason why they were able to make the kind of structures that they made? Did they actually use these? larger beans, giants that uh, we can't comprehend now because uh, we don't have anything like it as reference. Yeah, it's my opinion that they were even larger than that, that the original giants were as tall as the the cedar trees, and it makes reference to that. But also humanity was of larger stature um, and had longer lifetimes prior to the flood that, you know, they lived 900 and some years. Adam lived 930 years. Um, Methuselah lived 970 years right before the flood of Noah's day. And the immediate, it was afterwards, after the flood, that not only the giants were reduced in stature and lifetime because they had extremely long um, lifespans, uh, and their longevity was reduced to 500 years, as it says in the book of Enoch. But also, um, it, it talks about how even Noah and his wife, their you know their bones, uh, the bones of Noah's wife were found in Turkey, where Ron Wyatt had discovered the the ark. Right. I mean, not the ark, but the you know, the the boat, well, yeah, it is the Ark as well, but not the Ark of the Covenant, but the right. actual, um, the ship that they were preserved in. And the bones of Noah's wife showed that she was 14 feet tall. And so Noah and his wife were also what we would consider to be giants. Um, but, you know, it was afterward that humanity 
started to be reduced in stature after the blood, you know, after the generation of Noah, then they started, they lived to like 460 years and then they keep, kept reducing, I think Abraham 175 years and then uh, slowly dwindled down to like 120 years and now a generation is 70 years. And so um, even the humanity uh, would be, uh, pre-flood would be what we consider to be giants, but the giants, uh, you know, the real giants, the hybrid, the six-fingered, six-toed, double sets of teeth giants, they were massive. I would say they were plus 30-plus feet. And, yeah, that's why they were able to, um, you know, as tall as a cedar tree, and that's why they were able to lift those huge and to create those huge megalithic sites. Um, that we see in you know places like Baalbek and and others, and there was recently a wall uh, found in Russia, which was even had stones that were even larger than the stone of the the pregnant woman, you know that which is the largest of the trilithon stones there in Baalbek. Uh, these stones were even larger. Really? And the yeah, Interesting. It, Interesting. it's amazing. So yeah, the dynamics are going up. Definitely, we're de- we're devolving. Um, we're not nothing like our ancestors were <laughs> prior to the flood, prior to the flood and after. You know, uh, I have to ask this question. It's been lingering in my mind ever since I've been reading this book, uh, the book of A- Adam and Eve, and that is this whole thing about the covenant of five thousand and five hundred years. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, that's a very fascinating subject. Oh, yeah, it is, and it's very controversial, first of all, I imagine, as well. <laughs> what is your take on it? Because, you know what, what okay, this is what I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest something. This whole thing that we're getting as far as, like, evolution saying that the Earth is billions of years old, and then there's the other argument that's pushed, that's been pushed on us as well, that is only 6,000 years old, could possibly be a Hegelian dialect. In other words... We're arguing about things that are not necessarily true. And if, if I'm reading correctly from Adam, the book of Adam and Eve and the, the covenant of 5,500 years, well, that happened 2,000 years ago, didn't it? Correct? Mm-hmm, right. That means, um, that means the earth, is, this, this place that we call earth is much older than we say. And, yeah, uh, that's what I believe. So what did you get out of it? Tell me more about this. Tell us more about this 5,500 years. All right. Um, let me find this one particular thing. But um, there's a book that was put out by George Pember. And he talks about in this book, you know, the whole gap theory and how it says in Gen- uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, um, and between Genesis verse 1 and 1, and chapter 1, verse 2, that somehow the earth became null and void, but that initially when the earth was created, that it was not created null and void, but that the fallen angels and a judgment against them had caused it to be null and void and that um, and without form, and that what is described in Genesis is the recreation of the earth. And so there was a previous 
uh, generation. And this is mentioned also in Jeremiah chapter 4, uh, verse 23, where it talks about a time when there was no man. All the birds of the heaven fled and all the cities of the plain were destroyed. And it's my opinion that this was a judgment, just like Atlantis, you know, the destruction of Atlantis, that there was a uh, it was a judgment against the fallen angels for involving themselves in opening stargates and inviting into this dimensionality powers and principalities which they were not supposed to do and not supposed to involve themselves with. It speaks about this in the Emerald Tablets, um, where it says that the you know the man was involved in calling up the uh, dark beings from below, and that these entities were um, interdimensional, and that they were of formless of another vibration, and it says that they were serpent-headed, and how they had taken over the councils of man, and how they killed man and took over and ruled in his place, um, meaning as far as the royals. But you asked me about the 5,500 years, and so because you did so, I have to read this one particular passage that is shared at the very end of the Gospel of Nicodemus, which is one of the books I had told you about. And, um, there, and I read I read a portion of it on my show, so yeah. especially about uh, the uh, about Christ going just I guess to hell for three days before he came back to resurrected, right? Well, yeah, this is this is right after that that particular story. Um, Pilate goes to them and he asks them about Yeshua, and he asks them if they knew that he was the Son of God, and if they um, if they had indeed murdered the Son of God, and so they close the temple doors and they make sure that nobody is listening, and then they bring out this uh, massive book, and uh, they begin to read from it, and this is what they said, and this applies to that 5,500 years. So listen to this. It says, And Annas and Caiaphas, when they were thus adjured, commanded all the rest that they were, that willed them to go out of the temple. And they're very hush-hush about this. And they themselves shut all the doors of the temple and of the sanctuary and said unto Pilate, Thou hast adjured us, O excellent judge, by the building of this temple to make manifest unto thee the truth and reason or a true account. After that we had crucified Jesus, knowing not that he was the Son of God, but supposing that by some chance he did his wondrous works, we made a great assembly, a synagogue in this temple, and as we conferred one with another concerning the signs <clears throat> excuse me, of the mighty works which Jesus had done, we found many witnesses of our own nation who said that they had seen Jesus alive after his passion. You know, he was resurrected. Not only did uh, was he resurrected, but he also resurrected all the dead that were in Sheol. Was, um, was Adam one of them? Yeah, Adam, Seth, all of the old patriarchs, Daniel, um, many of them were, you know, there. 
all of them that had died up until even the thief on the cross, which he said, you will be this day in paradise with me. That's also found in the story. But anyways, we found many witnesses of our own nation who said that they had seen Jesus alive after his passion and that he was passed into the height of heaven. Moreover, we saw two witnesses whom Jesus raised from the dead who declared unto us many marvelous things, um, which Jesus did um, um, among the dead, which things we have in writing in our hands. Now our custom is that every year before our assembly we open this holy Bible and inquire the testimony of God. And we have found in the first book of the 70 how that Michael, the angel, spake unto the third son of Adam, the first man concerning the 5,500 years, wherein should come the most beloved son of God, even Christ. And furthermore, we have thought that per, per adventure, this same was the God of Israel, which said unto Moses, Make thee an ark of the covenant in length, two cubits and a half, and in breadth one cubit and a half, in height one cubit and a half. For by those five cubits and a half, we have understood and known the fashion of the ark of the old covenant, for that in five thousand and a half <clears throat> thousand years, Jesus Christ should come in the ark of his body. So, you know, they're comparing the ark that... Hmm, that Moses, uh, I mean, that Noah had created to preserve he and his family, that the measurement conferred and also reiterated that Yeshua would come in the body 5,500 years after Adam was cast out of paradise. So here's the rest of it. And we have found that he is the God of Israel, even the Son of God. For after his passion, we, the chief of the priests, because we marveled at the signs which came to pass on his account, did open the Bible and searched out all the generations unto the generations of Joseph and Mary, the mother of Christ, taking her to be the seed of David. And we found that from the day when God made the heaven and the earth and the first man, from that time unto the flood are 2,212 years. And from the flood unto the building of the tower, 531 years. And from the building of the tower unto Abraham, 606 years. And from Abraham unto the coming of the children of Israel out of Egypt, 470 years. And from the going of the children of Israel out of Egypt unto the building of the temple, 511 years, and from the building of the temple unto the destruction of the same temple, 464 years. So far found we in the Bible of Esdras, and inquiring from the burning of the temple unto the coming of Christ and his birth, we found it to be 636 years, which together are 5,500 years, like as we found it written in the Bible that Michael the archangel declared before unto Seth, the third son of Adam, that after five thousand and a half thousand years, Christ the Son of God hath come. Hitherto have we told no man. Now listen, they're keeping this a secret. Hitherto have we told no man, lest there should be a schism 
in our synagogues. And now, O oh, excellent judge, thou hast adjured us by this holy Bible of the testimonies of God, and we do declare it unto thee. And we also have adjured thee by thy life and health that thou declare not these words unto any man in Jerusalem. So the Pharisees are basically hiding that they know that Yeshua was the Son of God and that they had killed him and that he had fulfilled the prophecy that was given to Seth that he would come exactly 5,500 years after Adam was banished from paradise. That's, that's just mind-blowing. It's very mind-blowing. It? Yes, it is. That's amazing. I've never heard that before. Um, you guys are teaching me a lot this evening here on this, on, 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 on this portion. Where did you read that from, Suzanne? This is um, from the Gospel of Nicodemus. It's the very last portion after the descent into hell. And um, I, I read about these things in my seventh book, Skyfall, because I talk about the, you know, this particular prophecy. Also, I have all the passages um, of, from the first book of Adam and Eve, and there are others, even in the Apocalypse of Moses, that talk about this prophecy and how Christ even told Adam when he cast him out, because it was the word of God. It was Yeshua that cast him out of paradise and told him um, that, <clears throat> that he would come. And, and God also, Yahweh, the Father, had told him about this prophecy. And um, it's all written in the first book of Adam and Eve, you know, which is, um, according to the Thracian Chronicles, it's the oldest book. Uh, of the biblical scriptures because it was the testimony of um, of Adam. Oh, I, I wanted to say one thing before I forgot, too. You were talking about Job and how we had all learned uh, from Job's example as far as perseverance and how to, um, you know, as far as suffering, how to be graceful in that. Well, there's a book called the Testament of Job that not many people know about. And the thing about the book of Job is that everybody thinks that God just made a pact with Satan. He just said, all right, well, why don't you go and, <clears throat> excuse me, you have the authority to test my servant Job. But it wasn't that way at all. If you read the Testament of Job, what Job was doing is he was going around and he was destroying the groves and also the high temples that were built upon the mountains where they were doing these child sacrifices and where they were worshiping Satan. And Satan was mad at him. He was, you know, disturbed that he was destroying these places of worship where the pagans, you know, offered sacrifices to Satan. And so God went to Job and sent an angel to him and told him that if you continue to do this, Job, you're going to inquire the wrath of Satan, and he's going to come after you. But he told him then in the book, in the Testament of Job, that if you continue, and if you continue to stand up for me and you continue to, be, uh, to walk in this holy path, you're going to be persecuted, but... Afterwards, I will bless you twofold so that you will increase 
um, in bountiful measure. And Job basically says, bring it on, you know, allow him to come. And so, and so that's, that's where the book of Job picks up. And Satan goes and makes this pact with the Most High to test um, Job, and then he does so. But Job knew he was coming. It wasn't like the Most High just said, oh, well, why don't you go test my servant Job? He's a righteous, um, a righteous man. He had already gave him fair warning and told him the consequences of his actions, and Job was totally willing to, um, to you know, engage it head on. Do you have a link to that book? Do you have a, is there a PDF that uh, we can read? What, the Testament of Job? All you all you got to do is look it up, Testament of Job, and Google search it should come up. Okay, it's one of the pseudepigraphal books. It's not very difficult to find. Well, I've never even heard of it. Who I would have even thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I um, one of the you know that like I said, I spend all my time reading all the extra biblical and the canonical texts as well as the regular canon. And I've read a lot of books that most people have never even heard about. Oh, yeah. And I know how they connect together. I'm trying to catch up with you. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. You're so ahead of the game here. It's amazing. So, yeah, and it makes more sense. Certainly, it's more. It certainly gives more encouragement in this story than the. Even the story that's in the, the, the Bible, which once again makes us think, makes me think. You know, you gave an example of how the the Pharisees deliberately hid the five thousand or five hundred five thousand five hundred years. Um, did they do the same thing again in our our time in the past five hundred years with uh, the New English translations and all that? I mean, what's your impression about why they uh, have encouraged us so strong? I can just imagine what my Baptist friends who listen to this show are thinking right now, <laughs> and um, a lot of other folks too. I mean, they probably find this blasphemous what we're talking about, but to me, it's refreshing and uh, so rewarding to hear this stuff. Um, uh, yeah, do you think that there's been uh, a Luciferian satanic agenda that hides a lot of this stuff from us? Absolutely, and um, there's a passage in. The book of Thomas, and I'll pull it up real quick. Uh, Verse 39, it says, let me pull it up real real quick, because Yeshua tells us about how the Pharisees would try to hide the truth from us and how they would keep um, everything as far as the secrets of the kingdom, they would keep it from us. Uh, hold on, I gotta find it real quick. Um, but this is also a very interesting text, and I recommend people read it as well. This is very interesting stuff. Very interesting. And, um, before we end this night, gentlemen, I would like to talk a little bit as, as well about the the Sabbath that's coming up, and uh, talk about the Lower Sabbath. And how that was hidden from us as well, because this is all connected. Yeah, sure. All Brad, you want to comment on that while I'm looking this up? Yeah, you know, they, they, it, it, it all comes down to um, trying to remove the power from us and remove the authority that's 
um, created in us by our loving Father and our Creator. Um, you know, and what Zen, you were just talking about these uh, the Testament of Job. You know, I've always thought that there was more to the story, or thought that there was, you know, we didn't that the translation didn't come through quite accurately. That you know, that the, the facts. You know, Chris was saying this last night in our discussion that every time the the Bible makes a reference to uh, uh, the Creator being this big bad authoritarian force that wants to punish you and 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 for for the slightest little transgression is 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 never that it's always uh, this loving creator and you know what you're saying about the testament of job and his warning uh to job is you know another statement of how you know, he is this loving creator that loves yeah. us as his children. And, you know, he came forward and said, hey, look out, this is coming. And so, um, and, and, and the Sabbath is the same thing. You know, they, every, you know, I took the time a few years ago to, to study into the parasitical beliefs and teachings back during the time of Christ. And, it is amazing. We absolutely live in a parasitical society. Um, and, you know, we there's not a single adult living today that can't go through the day without breaking some law um, of man. And, you know, there's laws and laws upon laws upon laws. And people don't even know about them. In fact, there's even websites out there that are dedicated to the obscure, goofy laws that have been passed over the ages. So, you know, we absolutely live in a parasitical society, and Yeshua came to preach against the bankers in the parasitical society, against right. the Jesuits and the fer- fer- and the lawyers that we are enslaved to today. Well, yeah. I mentioned, you know, you mentioned the, you know, the Jesuits, and of course, you know, I'm going to bring up something about that, but uh, it makes me think, you know, there's a lot of folks out there, especially in the Roman Catholic Church, who feel that there is a strong connection between the Jesuits and what you're talking about, this apostate, uh, well, Pharisees. There's, there's a connection between the apostate uh, Jewish sect that's out there. And so, I don't know if it's true or not, I don't know, but it's starting to look like there's a strong connection that <laughs> between the two. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I want people to know that we're not anti-Jewish and we're not anti-Roman Catholic people, the people themselves. And I have a sister who is a Roman Catholic and her brother is an Eastern Orthodox. And so, of course, we all grew up Mormons, and so it would be really inevitable that we uh, would all end up somehow joining another cult. But uh, the thing is, is that I'm starting to realize is this organized religion, Satan is at control of all of this stuff, man. And they, they've done a great job of hiding so much of the truth from us that just the few things that we learned this evening have been so refreshing. And so it's like, you know, like you, it's, although the people around us, I, I imagine, I can only imagine what Zen has gone through in his life and the attacks and the rejection he's received. <laughs> but at the same token, you know, that freedom of knowing the truth, 
No? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd have it no other way. Because um, I, I feel like I'm standing with the most high, and uh, I don't care about the, all the... You know, I, I care about my fellow brethren, but as far as their judgment of me and what they think of me, because I study the extra-biblical text, um, if they choose and they choose not to, and they choose to condemn people that do, uh, I'm not bound by any of that at all. And um, it just actually leads me perfectly to the passage um, in the Gospel of Thomas, verse 39, it says, Jesus said the Pharisees and the scribes have taken the keys of knowledge and hidden them. They themselves have not entered, nor have they allowed to enter those who wish to. You, however, be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. I mean, it basically sums it up perfectly. Um, they have hidden the Council of Nicaea was about keeping truth from the people and all of these pastors and preachers and ministers, most of them, they teach that all of these extra biblical books are, are you know, um, that they're bad and that you shouldn't read them. And, and people adhere to that. They avoid them like they're the plague. And it's amazing to me because there's not even one story, or there's actually one story in the gospel about the youth of Christ. And that's the story when he was, 13 years old, um, and he left his parents, and they uh, retraced their steps, and they found him in the temple teaching the um, the rabbis there. But there's no other stories of Christ as far as in infancy, his youth, uh, his younger years, until he came out in his ministry, you know, and all these people that call themselves Christians are disciples of Christ, and yet they know nothing about his life. Or his, you know, his coming um, into flesh, the only the virgin birth, the immaculate conception, and then one story of his youth. And you have to study the extra biblical books in order to get any detail on what's called the infancy gospels. And there's several collections of them. One written by um, James, who was the first uh, rabbi, the the priest as far as the um, the Jerusalem church after Yeshua's death, he was also the half-brother of Yeshua from um, Joseph, you know, the Joseph's previous marriage. And all these stories, unless you read them, you have no real detail. Like, I'll give you one more example since Brad had talked about how when you know the full story, you know how the Most High is compassionate even though he is portrayed as being homicidal in the text so many times. And this has to do with the story of Abraham and Isaac, and also Ishmael. Because when Ishmael was 13 years old, he was circumcised, and he was talking to Isaac, who was his, his younger brother, and he was bragging to him that he would give you know, his foreskin uh, to, uh, to, to God. And basically, that you know, he would... He was doing more in that way than Isaac ever had. And Isaac basically bragged back to him, saying that if he was, if it was required of him, that he would hap happily give his life to the Most High, to God. And the angel, one of the angels, had heard him. And so 
that challenge was brought forth to Isaac. But Isaac knew in the story, when you read the fullness of the story that is in the the Targums and also in um, some of the other uh, pseudepigraphal texts, um, and I have done a whole show on this. I don't have all that information before me. But Isaac knew that when he and his father were going to the mountain uh, to, and that they were going to do this great sacrifice, that his father was supposed to sacrifice him. And his father, Abraham, was scared and, and shaking and didn't want to do it. And yet um, Isaac was encouraging him, telling him to bind him tightly so that uh, neither he nor his father would change his mind and that he was willing, he wanted, he was okay with being this great sacrifice for the Most High God. And so this was a test for both he and Abraham that Abraham would be willing to give his firstborn, I mean his secondborn son, but his most beloved son. And this was a reflection of Yeshua coming into the flesh because the Father gave his only begotten Son. And so it was a reflection of that um, in that he would actually, the Most High would actually give his Son to die on the cross and be crucified and murdered and sacrificed for us in order to give us a forgiveness of sins. And Abraham was willing to do the same to Isaac, and Isaac was willing to, to be that sacrifice. He was encouraging his father in the, the story when you get all the real details of it. He was encouraging his father to, to do the deed and to actually sacrifice him. And um, when both of them were to the point that they were going to do it, that's when the angel came and stayed. Abraham prevented his arm from going down and they found a ram. It makes me want to cry even right now. But they found a ram in the thicket, and both Abraham and Isaac, they just hugged and bawled together and cried together. It's a very moving story when you read the the fullness of it. But it also, again, when you know the details, it shows you that the Most High is not... Um, asking or asking them to do anything that he would not do for us. And he never was going to allow Abraham to sacrifice Isaac because Isaac is the child of promise. And Ishmael is considered to be um, the seed of the serpent, just like with Jacob. Jacob is favored, but Esau is hated. Esau is considered also to be the seed of the serpent. And Isaac and both Jacob are the seed of promise and the line which whom Yeshua would be born through. Interesting. Do you think uh, the reason why uh, so many uh, followers of Christ uh, in the world today find the church so hollow and empty is because they take away this uh, all these extra biblical texts? I think that's one of the reasons. The other is that they have no real answer for the hard questions, um, such as the serpency and also pre-existence and also the fallen angels and the giants. Um, 
the pastors, if you go up to them and ask them about any of these things, or go up to them and ask them why Jacob was favored and Esau was hated, when Esau had never yet even been born, and he was um, a baby. How could a kind, compassionate, loving God hate a child that had not yet born? Again, all of that is connected to preexistence and election. And if you don't understand that we were part of the Council of the Mighty, that we were part of the sons of God, and that in Psalms 82, when it says that you will die the death of man, that that is reference to all of us. Because as the, uh, the angels, as an angel, as an angelic being, even like Adam and Eve, they were bright-natured and immortal before their fall, before their banishment from paradise, their exile to this world. That same principle applies to all of us. Our spirits pre-existed with the Most High, with the Father and the Son, uh, just like as it says in Proverbs 8, he knew us from the beginning. Uh, Ephesians 1, that we were predestined, predestinated, um, and that you know our election, the things that we did during the war in heaven um, and shortly thereafter, that is what determines our circumstances and our situations of being born into the flesh. And that's also why Jacob was favored, and the seed of the woman, the line of Adam, is favored, and why the sons of Esau and the line of Cain, they're hated. It all has to do with that election. And the priests, pastors, ministers, none of them can explain that to you. Um, They don't even want to hear those questions. That's why none of them will even touch that. There will be no sermons on Jacob being favored and Esau hated because they can't explain it. It's the same thing with um, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, where the word of the Lord goes to Jeremiah, tells him, I knew you before you ever entered into the womb of your mother. I had ordained you to be a prophet unto the nations. It's the same thing with all of us. He knew us before we were ever joined with our body our spirits joined with the flesh. That's who we are now. We're angelic beings caught up in fallen flesh form, but only until death. And then, uh, depending on what we did and uh, how we behaved and our actions here, that will determine our internal inheritance. And there's so much of Scripture that talks about you know, the wheat and how they will be favored, the righteous, and to be numbered and counted among the elect. And then the tares, those that are preserved for burning, um, the, you know. Uh, and so all of that, that division, that enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, it's ongoing and it's playing out right now. Um, and we are at the end of days. We're the final generation. So all of that will be played out and will end at some time, I believe, very soon. Well, it seems to me that you God elected you to be a voice in the wilderness to bring back to life a lot of these missing texts that have been taken away from us to have a better or more fuller understanding of his word, his message, and the truth of history. Um, I'm not saying that just to, you know, 
feed your ego. It seems to be that way. I mean, <laughs> what can only uh, honestly deduce that that's actually what's going on. I mean, why did God put you in the circumstances that you're in and slow right. you down enough to deliver this message? Because let's face it, if you were living the pace that you were living before, well, you would be of the use that you are right now. So. so. I agree, and this is my role, this is my mission, this is my sacred vow, and that's why I'm here, and this is what I'm here to do and fulfill. So let's, let's, let's before we end this, because we've been doing this for a while, I don't want to quit, but I also want people to hear this, because uh, uh, there's been some really important stuff, and I'm sure it's going to upset a lot of people. A lot of it's going to you know, upset the apple cart here, but I think it, it needs to be done at this point. We need to really just get real about things and get real honest about stuff and make make our decisions right now really what we want. Do we want our Lord and Savior, the way, the truth, and the life, or Yahshua the Messiah, and this whole message, or do we want just part of it that suits our fancies and our own desires? Now, going back nope. to that, no more... No more PC talk and no more sweet nothings in our ears. Let's uh, let's speak truth and understand. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's yeah, absolutely. God inspired me to name this show a very simple title, Nothing But the Truth. <laughs> he did. One night I was like, what am I going to name my show? And then it was like a month into it. It's okay. That's it. Okay. But and that's really what my desire is. And I think there's other people out there that want to know the truth, too. Um and I hope that it's God's, God's elect or want that. I I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, I can only tell you, gentlemen. I many a, a day I look. I ask myself, why am I doing what I'm doing? Because this is not what I chose. Honestly, people say otherwise, and I know Chris says, you know, we we just you know what the scriptures say. But I have to tell you, if I chose what I wanted. I'd be doing something completely different because, well, though God is definitely changing my heart and uh, changing it to a heart of flesh instead of stone, I uh, and being more compassionate and being more desirous to share the truth with people. A couple of years ago, you know what? It was six years ago, four years ago, I was all about me, <laughs> what I could get out of this world, and uh, so I was right there. <laughs> I have no idea why I'm doing what I'm doing. Well, it's been a longer longer time for me, but yeah. But I want to ask uh, Brad uh, to talk to us a little bit about, because I guess there's, we're going to have uh, on the 9th, we're going to have uh, a Sabbath and on the 11th, is that correct? Um, yeah, then, we, have a, we have a beginning of the month coming. Explain, uh, explain that to us a little bit, because so, this is a foreign concept for the majority of God's children at this point, even what the lunar Sabbath is, but let alone why we're going to have two Sabbaths and almost back-to-back. <laughs> well, um, I think the simplest way to put it is, is our discussion has been around a loving creator uh, and father who recognized from the beginning that we could easily be corrupted and easily enslaved to time uh, by man and laws by man and so you know the pharisaical way is is this inter, intermediary person between us and 
Christ or um, the Creator, and so uh, you know that becomes the the Pope, the Vicar of Christ, um, your your pastor, um, whatever you have, um, and uh, he established at the beginning in that creation the time and a stellar uh, timepiece, which is the moon and the sun and the stars. And by establishing those as a, a way to order your time and order your lives, being the lunar uh, calendar, um, we don't have to be enslaved by a printed calendar by Pope Gregory or before that, by Pope Julian, or by by Julian, not, and uh, so it is his time that we then order our lives by, and we the 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 the, the peasant living on the hillside can look up and know what time it is and what day it is without having to succumb to some. Uh, organization, corporation, whatever you have that prints out a calendar every year and says, okay, this is when you need to show up to work. Um, and this is when you get to rest and this is how you order your lives. Um, and and the, the historical way was looking for a, a more mature crest Crescent, um, and it speaks about it in Le Leviticus, um, where it speaks of the beginning of the year being uh, the ripening of the barley for the for the wave offering, um, and uh, that would be the beginning of the year um, shortly after the uh, the the spring uh, equinox, and. So, uh, another way to look at it is the, it, with, it, in the creation week, the, the sun and the moon were ordered on the fourth day of creation. So, um, you have the fifth day of creation, so 24 hours later. Um, then you have the sixth day of creation, so now uh, 48 hours later. And so two days after the sun and the moon are ordered, or in, in another way of putting it in our common uh, phrase, phrases today would be conjunction. So the sun and the moon ordered or placed in conjunction uh, on the fourth day of creation. Uh, two days later, or 48 hours later, you see a mature or horned crescent. And if you go back and look at some of the uh, writings of Josephus uh, talking about how um, the Sanhedrin uh, worked and how they uh, began the month and how they would um, uh, announce the beginning of the month, they would have to have witnesses come in and testify that they had seen a horned crescent. Um, there's uh, documents out there that speak of a, 
um, uh, drawings or etchings in the in, in the walls of the temple to uh, to have the witnesses um, point to the maturity of the crescent they ha- that they saw, and once they had established that that there was a mature crescent or a horned crescent, then the announcement went out that the uh, beginning of the month would be uh, tomorrow and or the new moon would begin tomorrow. And, um, and interestingly, um, some of the, the historical writings was that they would light these fires on top of the, the hills and the mountains to send a signal around um, to the, the nation afar that, that the central um, Sanhedrin had, had announced that the, um, the month was beginning. Um, there also are some writings about people starting these bonfires or these signal fires to try to confuse and cause problems for uh, the Hebrew nation, um, like there's always rebel rousers and troublemakers. But um, the interesting thing about the the, the Hebrew calendar and and the the biblical Sabbath is that it is anchored off of the uh, the ripe barley or the the first harvest. Um, uh, in their land and um, the, the Islamic um, lunar calendar isn't anchored off of anything. So it migrates throughout the year. And I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners are aware and you guys are aware there was, you know, kind of a, a bit of a hoopla this year that, that um, Mohammed's birthday fell on, uh, on uh, Christmas day this year. Oh, it did. Uh, I had no idea. <laughs> it's been interesting. Okay. Um, but, you know, that, they, were making, they were making a big deal about that. And, and the reason it happened to fall on Christmas Day this year was because, you know, their calendar isn't anchored to a season. It migrates throughout the year. So if you were born in the summer, uh, a few years later, you could be celebrating your birthday in the winter. Um, however, the, the Hebrew scriptural calendar is anchored off of the first harvest um, of the year in the spring, which then begins the, the new year. Um, therefore, the Passover and uh, the beginning of the year. Um, so that's a long, long, quick um, little explanation of how the cal- calendar works. Um, and each month, um, the, the simplest and easy way to, easiest way to remember it is that you have the fourth day of creation, um, which is conjunction 48 hours later that evening, uh, you would see a more mature, uh, uh, crescent and it usually falls between Six and eight percent illumination, um, and most of the time it's right, almost perfectly at seven percent illumination. Uh, is that horn 
uh, horned crescent uh, that you see that begins the month. And so the new moon, uh, Sabbath, or the first day of Sabbath is a, uh, or the first day of the month is a Sabbath in remembrance of the uh, first Sabbath of creation. And then from there, you count seven days to the weekly Sabbath. So um, then you would, uh, uh, from the beginning of the month, you would then count seven days. And so then on the eighth would then be the next Sabbath. And then seven days later would be the next Sabbath and so forth throughout the month. Uh, and then once the, the moon had uh, reached maturity and then uh, goes back to conjunction again, uh, you start the new month. And uh, the 13th month um, throughout the year, um, you can often, you'll often hear of, of them talking about adding a 13th month uh, to the calendar, um, which I, is a, a dar too, if I remember correctly. Um, that is a, um, you, you have to do that to be able to keep the calendar in sync with the seasons. And so there is a greater cycle on top of that, which is a 19-year cycle, um, which is called the Metonic cycle. And so there are some years that have 12-month 12, 12 lunar months and some years that have 13-month lunar years. Interesting. Do you think uh, we, this whole thing about, like, Isis, Horse, you know, Osiris, and uh, the 13 and this whole... Well, you know, Luciferians, they like to use that number 13 as a way of mock, mocking this, which you just said, or some kind of like a subtle hint or a, a wink-wink to those that know. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, I've often thought of that as well, you know, why there is this, um, uh, in the West, this fear of the number 13, you know, I, know they, I know they associate with Friday the 13th and the Templars. They say they do, but is it something deeper? Yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've actually tried to study that out and tried to figure that out myself. I find it fascinating that... Because you know, cer certainly the Templars should have known about this, with their, their journeys to the Middle East and them taking over Jerusalem and raiding it. and They certainly should have figured this stuff out themselves, right? Yeah. It's fascinating that we live in a modern world, and yet you can go into a, a new hotel, and most of the hotels that you can go into don't have a 13th floor listed in the elevator. Yeah, it's almost like there's some kind of psychological programming going on to say to avoid this whole scenario. So, anyways, so the next Sabbath, if, if I'm correct, if I'm correct, gentlemen, starts Friday evening through Saturday, and then two days later, there's another Sabbath. Am I correct? Um, uh, I think it's on the 11th. Yeah, it's actually... Oh, yeah. It's actually yeah, you mean the, the last one of the month, yeah. Yeah, the last Sabbath... The last Sabbath right. of this month will be Monday. Um, right. And then uh, the following... The next Sabbath after that will be uh, Wednesday. 
So oh, so it's Monday, Wednesday, so it has nothing to do. Okay, so I'm I'm I had a couple days here. That's what I am. So so it starts. So the eleventh would be. Let's see if the ninth is Saturday. The eleventh would be Monday. So we should start Sunday evening or Monday evening. Um. Well, there there is some there is some discourse out there around that. That's an interesting thing that you bring up. Um, there is some writing out there that speaks to sun down to sun up, but then there's also a scripture that said that speaks to you know twelve hours being in the day, and so there are people out there that believe that the Sabbath is from sunrise to sunset. Dave Nakeo Nakeo is one of them, and hopefully he'll be on my show Saturday. He's got a a website called ChristianityBelief.com and and RomanCatholicBelief.com. And so he's one of those lunar Sabbatarians that believes what you're saying, that starts at sunrise. Yeah, so there is definitely um, some differences in belief out there and from what I've seen I haven't found anything definitively um, either way uh, to I go by the creation the evening and the morning were you know the first day and then the evening and morning that kind of thing yeah that's logical too so uh yeah, as we as we as, as we go through this journey and uh, deprogram ourselves from all the the, the satanic de- delusion that we've been under all our whole lives, uh, you know these things are going to be uh, of complications, and we'll figure it out as time goes on, right? I, I I'm assuming, mm-hmm. just like everything else. I mean, let's face it: a year ago, gentlemen, the three of us thought the Earth was a ball revolving around the sun. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, hey, can I clarify something really quick? Because uh, I'm looking at the calendar, um, you know, the one that I shared with you, Brett. Uh, I mean, um, Mike, and uh, that has the lunar percentages, and it's on. It says on the 11th that it will reach the seven percent moon, and so isn't that like the new lunar day, the Kadesh? Um, Let me I'm, give you the link to what I'm talking about, Brad. Okay, I'm looking right now. Um, yeah, shoot me that link over. I will tell, you know, that, that there is when, and, and you know, my world has been flipped up a little upside down now that I uh, understand that, that we live on this flat plane. Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> So all all of us have. We got to question everything now, don't we? Right. So yeah, I say instead of the uh, that turning our world upside down, it's turned our world flat. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the the correct correction. Um, what I have found is that um, near the winter and spring uh, equinoxes, that um, the percent of illumination um, is 
is, is, is much greater. And I'm going to chat you a link right now, um, and I'll tell the listeners what this link is. Let me find it here real quick. Um, it's at um, Her Majesty's... Um, her Majesty's Nautical Almanac Office, and the URL for it is astro.ukho.gov.uk um, forward slash moonwatch forward slash nextnewmoon.html. And there they have a little application that shows you um, the visibility of the crescent over uh, the continents and over the earth. And uh, on, the, on January 11th, most of planet earth can see, uh, or not planet earth, the plane of earth. I'm still trying to correct my, my use of the words, but uh, uh, on the 11th, uh, Southern Australia, uh, New Zealand um, cannot see the crescent. Um, so uh, on January 11th, that is um, only 24 hours after conjunction. So to be able to get the whole Earth um, on the same day or on the sa- same Sabbath, you have to wait that extra day. And uh, interesting. Um, and it, it, it appears to be uh, uh, more greater than a, a 7% illumination, and um, it, 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 it always happens right around the spring and winter equinoxes where you can get mixed up by just one day. And it's not, you know, per, my personal opinion is, is it doesn't make, that big of a difference because it self-corrects uh, the following month because of the metonic cycle. Um, it works right. out. Um, and the creator knows that we're trying to do the best that we can with the information and the technology that we have. Um, right. But, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've found uh, this website that I just mentioned to you and chatted you the link to as being very useful to actually be able to see where uh, we can see that crescent. And, uh, you know, if we were to go with the January 11th as uh, viewing the crescent that evening uh, and new moon the next day on the 12th, then uh, uh, Southern Australia and New Zealand would be left out and, they would be celebrating the Sabbath on the uh, on a different day than the rest of the world. So we have to wait for that more mature crescent where the whole world can see it and the whole world come together to celebrate Sabbath and the creation uh, with the Creator. Very interesting. You know, gentlemen, for uh, hopefully each, we can do this again next week. I know I have Everyone's really busy and all that, but um, this is such important information. Uh, hopefully, we can do this again. Uh, I know we've talked, we've talked about Zen that maybe we could do this as more of a regular thing. Maybe next Tuesday we can get together. If we do, if you guys are willing to get together with me next week, next Tuesday, um, 
things I would like to talk about in particular are two subjects. A, uh, there'll be more than this, obviously, but one thing is knowing what you know now, is there any way possible that you could end up going back to organized religion at this point? And the next thing is with this Lunar Sabbath thing, one of the things that I've been thinking about as far as the geoengineering going on is this Satan's attempt to attempt to hide this truth as we become more aware of the the, the uh, phases of the moon and become more attentive of it. Are they going to try in some way to kind of obscure it? I know it's kind of a strange question to ask, but why are the ex? Why is Satan so interested in? What he's interested in. So, do you understand what I'm saying? If it doesn't make any sense, because he wants to exalt himself above the stars of God and assume the worship. And that's why the calendar was changed. Everything was replaced. Sabbath was distorted. The feast and the festivals of the Most High, all of that was lost. Just like it, <clears throat> it says in Jubilees chapter six, like I shared in your last program, how everything would be changed. And that's part of his exalting himself. And the same thing with the flat earth, uh, making the sun the preeminent as far as the solar system and uh, creating the heliocentric Darwinian worldview. It's about replacing the covenant that God has with us and with the earth and, um, you know, us with the earth. And so all of that is about Lucifer, the light bearer, exalting himself, um, and replacing and stealing the worship of the Most High, the Father and the Son. And so that's uh, my answer in a short. But um, I'm running out of voice, brothers. I'm going to have to... We should probably end it right now. This is pretty such a good episode. I'm thinking about chopping it up in a couple sections, at least two, so that more people will listen to it. So, But I want to thank you both for uh, spending your Tuesday... Uh, or whatever it is today, <laughs> this evening. It's now Wednesday, isn't it? <laughs> On my time. Um, thank you for spending your evening with me. You didn't have to, and thank you for last night and the previous night. So, uh, are we game for next Tuesday to get together again, son? I'm down. Yeah, cool. fun. Uh, yeah, that 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 sounds that sounds good. Let's uh, let's do it. And I definitely will be, for the Sabbath, one of the things I will be doing is reading the Gospel or the the Testament of Job, (laughs) at least on the show. Oh, yeah, very interesting reading. And And you should definitely check out that last part of the Gospel of Nicodemus. I sent a link to both of y'all as well. Okay, cool. And, oh, by the way... Brad, if you if, they, if you can contact Chris as well, uh, Mark just said Thursday night he would like to have that debate about the flat Earth with Chris. So Mark Sargent, that is. So. All right, I'll, I'll I'll see if I can. Uh, Should be an interesting show. Should be a lot of fun. So yeah, I would. Uh, I look forward to listening to that debate. <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to listen in on that one too. <laughs> Some interesting stuff. So, okay, gentlemen, thank you very much. God bless. All right, man. God bless, everyone. Thank you. Good night. Good night. So, folks, once again, that was uh, Zen Garcia and and Brad Vornholt. And, uh, of course, you can learn more about these gentlemen 
Uh, you can find lots of stuff about Sen on YouTube. And uh, Brad's still here. Brad, you're still here, right? Yes, I am. How can the people find out more about you? <laughs> or do you want that right now? Are you ready for that? Um, I don't really have that. I mean, the the book that Chris and I wrote together, The uh, Destruction of Sabbath, is um, probably the... Um, Would that be the best way of getting, that, getting a hold of you if, they, if somebody wants to reach, you out, reach out to you to go to the, the Chronicle Project and ask for you? Um, yeah, that's a good way to do it. Um, uh, yeah, I don't really have a particular website right now. I'm... Um, uh, I, I don't either. I got so many great interviews and so many good, nice people, and I have to figure out a way to... I don't have the energy or the time to do it. a YouTube channel and everything else. You know what I mean? I'm totally busy researching and interviewing people. I don't have the time to do all the rest of the stuff. You know what I mean? And be a dad. It's just too much effort, so... Yeah, that's that's me. I'm spending time just trying to study, study and understand our reality, and uh, 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 you know, share share and share what I think I've learned and and learn from others. So um, it's a lot. It's a lot of work to to de- de- deprogram yourself, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But so. uh, as far as then, folks, you can once again uh, Fallen Angels TV. Online radio, find uh, uh, Endeavor Freedom YouTube channel, and then has nine books that he's written, so you can look into that stuff. And I personally, if, if you know, uh, I, I have to tell you something. Uh, a year ago, I would not have been able to uh, tolerate or stomach uh, Zen because I was still under a lot, you know, a lot of prejudice from other people's teachings. But as time has gone on, I'm starting to realize that Zen has done some really wonderful work. <laughs> it really has. And that's why I want to bring up this whole thing about next week we get together to think about it. How do we? How, how could we ever go back to organized religion? No, we don't know. It seems to be a giant trap to keep us from knowing this truth. So. Yeah, that's the purpose. That's the purpose of it: divide us and separate us from truth. From God itself, you know what I mean? Yep. And you, think, you think about Abraham and his journey, you think about all the other prophets of the Old Testament and their journeys, and uh, that had very little to do to, about being belong, belonging to a group. In fact, it all seems to be the opposite. So, uh, I guess we got a lot, lot to talk about so, still, so a lot to talk about. And I feel grateful that I found a couple people who are willing to talk about this stuff because, like myself in the past, and so many others were so narrow-minded in our approach, and we think we got it all figured out. And I think, well, my my realization is how little I've got figured out. Yeah, now, that's that's the funny part. Yeah, I know we're grown men. We're you know we're we're, in our, we're all you know in our forties, and uh, uh, you think that we would have it all figured out, and to, to come to our age and realize how little truth we know. Uh, it's truly is you could, it's obvious it's part of the satanic plan between the public school system, organized religion, and everything else to keep us from knowing the truth. If we're now discovering some of it in our age, this is a terrible situation to be in. You know what I mean? So, yeah. But it also it's a glorious situation to be in because we're willing to uh, at least explore this, to accept it, and try it. So. If I don't talk to you before the Sabbath, have a good one, and hope we meet them. 
if you get a chance to get a hold of Chris, I've tried to get a hold of him too. That uh, Mark really said Thursday would be the night, so <laughs> that would be ten o'clock p.m. my time. So, <laughs> sounds good. Well, I'll reach out to Chris and thank you again for uh, including me on your show tonight. Oh, thank you, man. Thanks a lot, man. All right, folks, once again, God bless, take care, and we'll carry on in this journey. Thank you for those who have joined, those that will join, and please don't be shy to share this with other people. Help us to spread the word and some of the truth that we have shared tonight. So God bless, take care. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.